You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about DC's Doom Patrol or HBO Max's Doom Patrol or whatever it is today. But it's Doom Patrol. Uh, But before we do that, let's meet our guests for this week. And first up is someone who actually hasn't been on the show for a while, but he's usually on to talk to us about comic book related stuff. And that is my buddy, Eric. How are you doing, Eric? Uh, It's going to be like it's a 50-50 between Sean and I on that one. (laughs) Right. Um, I'm hanging in there, man. (laughs) Trying to get things back on track. But, you know, we work six days a week. It's kind of... uh, Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a little rough. Doing anything fun? Uh, Gaming, mostly. Um, Oh, okay. Well, that's fun. I picked up a handful of my favorite... uh, Power Rangers seasons because they're taking it off of Netflix. So I was like, yeah, I might as well get physical copies because physical media, you don't have to worry about something being taken off a streaming service out of nowhere. That has been my argument, yes. And because, yeah, every time everybody tells me, like, I've gotten rid of my collection because everything's streaming, and I'm like, yeah, about that. Mm." (laughs) It's like, yeah, (laughs) wait about three, three, you know, like between a year and three years, and then the contract's up, Mm. and then you're like, oh, everything's gone. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And with ones where you even pay for it, like, you know, so there's services like Netflix where they have just stuff that's there. But there are ones where you actually are supposedly buying your movie or your season of shows. And sometimes when they take it down, some of them honor your previous purchase and let you keep like keep it in your in your in your stuff. And other ones, they'll remove that even though you paid for it. So that's even worse. But yeah, uh, right now, there's actually a lawsuit with Amazon. There's an antitrust lawsuit specifically about that. And they're basically saying you said that you could either rent it or buy it. Buy it means they own it, which means that you have to make it available available in perpetuity until your platform servicing is removed um and amazon's going to lose that one because they're trying to argue that it's a long rental like a (laughs) multi-year rental and that that's how they're trying to argue it and they're going to lose they're going to flat out lose on that one so well yeah you have to make that very explicit then in the very explicit if you want to make that you know your thing it's like oh well there was some fine print and like some terms and conditions or something that you should have looked at you know but yeah exactly yeah itunes got into some hot water on that one too uh, that's why, mm. like, when you, whenever you go into your previous purchases and now, like, you have that, like, if you bought a movie or a TV show, you will always have that in your archive, in your archive. So when you, you know, have a new computer and you have to bring everything onto the new computer, it's just like, oh, it's there. <laughs> they can't get rid of it now because they have to keep it for you, even if they stop selling it. Right. All right. Well, good that you uh, you're getting your stuff, your your Power Rangers stuff, and playing some games. And it's good to have you back on, Eric. Always good to be here, my friend. <laughs> and that voice that you heard, uh, you know him as the world's greatest Flash fan, and that is my buddy Sean. How are you doing, Sean? 
I'm doing good, but I'm wearing a Skeletor shirt today. Oh, you're, you're also kind of like the world's greatest Skeletor <laughs> fan, too, really. Those are, yes. <laughs> as far as fictional characters, those are like my top two. They really are. And it's funny because the Skeletor thing, I don't think I realized how much I love Skeletor until people, like, I think it was like six years ago, somebody was like, you really like Skeletor. And I was like, do I? And they're like, the amount of Skeletor that you post is obscene. And so I went looking through, and it's funny because now I get the yearly reminders of stuff I posted from five years ago, six years ago. And I'm like, oh, crap, they're right. Like, I'm really into Skeletor. And I am. I mean, I, I always loved the, the, the character as a kid. Um, uh, it, it's one of the great character designs. It, it really is. <laughs> yeah. I, I love but that design. What I find hilarious, though, is about the same time you started posting big about Skeletor and how you love Skeletor mm -hmm. was when all this Skeletor stuff started getting made. <laughs> like, you know, like the Skeletor and He-Man dirty dancing skit <laughs> and like, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, until Sean, like, started talking about Skeletor, we, there was nothing of that like yeah, nobody wanted it yeah right <laughs> you created yeah, like a whole industry around skeletor it's true nathan has this theory that there's a sean bump whenever i announce that i really like something all of a sudden it starts going up in popularity right, right. so when people found out i like the flash the flash tv show shows up like, right. oh my god the flash is the best thing ever you know and i'm like yo i'd welcome to the party you know <laughs> in fact it must be because you're endorsing skeletor so much now that the flash movie has been in such like uh you know bad straits honestly i i take no uh, 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 I take no satisfaction in the developmental hell that Flash has been in for the last year or two. Um, you know, like I've said on this show before, I think that, you know, in the DCW, they've been doing a pretty serviceable job of trying to keep the Flash relevant and finding new ways of reinventing themselves. And they're obviously really good at finding ways of saying, okay, we screwed up last season. We've got to do better. Um, those lessons and those, those, those things are not applying to the movies. Um, I would love to have the people who worked on Shazam walk over to Flash and say, this is supposed to be a fun movie. Um, and and uh, it, it's sounding a lot more like a Man of Steel flick. And I mean, I'm going to be there. He's my boy. I'm, I'm going to grit through the pain, you know. But well, it's so gonna... weird because I was like, you know, because when you when you hear like what, you know, people have exited the Flash movie, have talked about yeah. like, I wanted to make a fun movie and apparently Warner Brothers doesn't see it that way. But yeah. then I see Shazam and I'm like, well, they let them make a fun movie. So yeah. why aren't they letting the Flash people make a fun because movie? Because Shazam's not considered S tier, you know, right? right? No, like know. when you He's... think about your S tier characters, you're thinking about your Justice Leaguers. Any mm. of the people who appeared in the Justice League movie, barring cyborg basically because that whole you know fallout um they're treating them like 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 fatted calves like they're going to be the most closely regulated but anything below that outside of harley quinn and joker if somebody throws them an idea and they think it's going to work they're going to let them try it you know so shazam was a very low risk movie for them and it paid off in spades i mean they, they've gotten a lot of good press for that and people say you can make a dc movie that's fun um it was it's a problem of uh leadership yeah um, they just keep rotating in their new version of uh kevin feige and you yeah. can't they want to they're like it's like they don't know how to make movies or something like they're like we made dark knight and so all our movie and it was popular so all our movies are gonna be dark and gritty oh we made you know this and now all our movies well oh, you know let's make a combined universe like marvel so let's find a kevin feige guy and you don't you know and it's like you could do a kevin feige guy but it, it just make movies <laughs> stop trying to make a thing just make the movie and to be fair, Nathan, if you go all the way back to 1989 Batman, whatever makes them a ton of money is what they try to model everything else after. And the perfect example, and, and Nathan knows this, is um, when you look at the uh, 1990 Flash TV show, 
the theme song is essentially a one note ripoff of the Batman theme. I mean, like it, it's supposed to be dark and gritty and, and I still love it. it it's a flawed as hell TV show. And, but John Leslie ship will always be my first yeah. live action flash. You know, that's my boy. Man, um, that was, that's a solid show. I really, yeah, like it. it really is, but it, it is so time. much it really good. Yeah, but it's so much of a Batman clone. It's it's hard to argue that it's not, you know, and, and that's the lesson that Warner Brothers has never moved away from, you know, whereas, you know, uh, when I say Marvel, I'm sorry, DC, uh, Warner Brothers has never uh, uh, figured out. Whereas Marvel says, okay, we're going to have a talking raccoon in this one, then we're going to have extreme political debates, you know, with the Winter Soldier over on this one. And then over here, Thor is going to get happy because he sees the Hulk in space jail. I mean, they're all over the place. You know? mm. <laughs> whereas everybody in DC land is trying to say, you know, how can we make Superman the dark night right it doesn't work um, but yeah. i'm good to answer yeah, the original good. Yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> long way around but yeah so um, um anything anything else going on for you sean other than skeletor shirts and- uh no well the, the other big thing um and i'm not sure when this comes out we'll probably already have released our first episode or two is uh my wife and i um over the last five months and i don't know if we've talked about this on your show before but nathan knows this privately is that i've been making these updates on political stuff kind of giving people like a a filtered view of okay there's a lot of noise out there let me give you what the actual facts are and what we can verify and people have asked me to continue to do that so we're actually coming up with a show we're calling it constitution check because we have to make a DD pun um (laughs) but it's actually going to be a live show that we're going to do once a week uh and it's going to be segmented up we're going to have basically a topic of the week we're going to have uh uh uh, covering the news of the last week in politics but we're also doing a segment that i think is really really important which is basically it's your civics test and we're going to be we're going to basically be talking about stuff that you should absolutely know about uh, and I don't care if you're you're coming to this country trying to you know naturalize. I don't care if you've been you know here your whole life. You should know how the First Amendment works. You should know what the three branches of government are. And every week we'll tackle one thing. Um, and the idea, hopefully, is that people will show up and and, and they'll enjoy the, the the topic and then part of the civics lesson and then you know the the more kind of open conversation. But it'll be live and people can actually ask questions and 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 we'll hopefully be able to change the scope of the conversation because. For some reason, people like it when I talk about politics and I'm like, ah, okay. So, it's so like if, that, if that's what you want. So this is the Sean bump that we're living through. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. You know, Sean yeah. political bump. <laughs> you know, it's your fault. Uh, okay. Nate makes a good point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, America. <laughs> Crap, that's actually a really good point. <laughs> All right. Well, it's it's uh it's good that you're uh, you got uh, some irons in the fire there, Sean. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, it sounds interesting, and uh, yeah, it's good to have you back on the show. Glad to be here. And finally, you've heard his voice now too. He is someone that was gone for a long time, but now he's back in a big way on the show. He's done quite a few episodes with us, and that is Nate Benton. How are you doing, Nate? Good. How are you guys? Oh, well, I already know how you guys are doing. I'm the last one. Um, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm just uh, just slowly uh, trying to piece my life back together after 2020. Mm. We'll see what we can do. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, anything fun happening for you? Um, well, actually, just recently, uh, my wife's cousin and her husband are moving down here. And I've never met him before. And then we started talking and he's like all into Dungeons and Dragons, all into board games, like uh, used to make his own minis, made his own dice, 
uh, went to conventions. Nice. Um, and I, 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 I let my wife know that I'm leaving her for, I'm, I'm gonna, <laughs> we're going to get married. We're going to be very happy together. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm super excited. They they got a house nearby. It's probably about like 30 minutes away, mm. and uh, uh, it's just going to be cool to have a, a a friend nearby that likes all the same stuff you like. Yeah, no, I uh, I know that feeling <laughs> because uh, you know right now I'm kind of isolated. But uh, you know, in various times in the past, like when I was in North Carolina and I met you guys, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like hey, it's a whole gaming crew including a rules lawyer. <laughs> you weren't there. You had already left by the time that I got jumped on the shirt that said like, uh, the rules not only say that you're wrong, but they also say that you're a dick. <laughs> I'm like, this is your shirt, John. This is yours. You own this. <laughs> I tell people that all the time. I'm like, we started off at like third level characters and he had a bard that had a diplomacy. <laughs> We're playing third edition D&D. Right. He had a diplomacy of like plus 20. Right. Dear Lord. Because it's like he, every time he started talking, like everybody just groaned and, and face palmed because he like, would say like, to, he was like this used car salesman of just oiliness and just like, oh and I'm like, <sighs> so he's like, do I have to roll? And Nathan's like, don't, don't roll. They do, like, you always roll. They do you, whatever you, you, you say. You always <laughs> have to roll because a one is always an option. And if you roll a one, you get to have the most glorious fun Mm-hmm. just making sure that they never forget that there's always a 5% chance yeah. that they could totally fall flat on their face. Well, I mean, yeah. well, Don would bring out, according to third edition rules, rules. skill checks are different from everything else and that since they're opposed checks, they, there is one isn't an automatic failure and then we'd have long arguments about it and it was just, uh, it was just, no, it was unpleasant the- to to have to argue with Don. It just Oh man, you see, that's why, but you see, Nathan's used to me and how I game. I literally right. sit down and go, no, they're, they're, if you want to be the DM, you can be the DM. Otherwise, the ruling stands and we're going to move on now (laughs) that stuff doesn't fly it's good times yeah that's right good times it really was cool though that you've got somebody moving close to you that's that's into all the same stuff because yeah Yeah. that's that'll be cool you know i mean anybody who hand makes their dice that's like the ron swanson of dnd right i mean that's makes his own minis (laughs) makes his own minis and he's like uh now that i got a a house with a basement i'm going to get back into that and he's got like shelves and stuff of, of just all, all the stuff to make terrain and um, all that. See, I thought it was cool, cool when Hero Forge like made it possible that you could 3D print minis, but to like make your own, that's like another step like beyond that. So, well, yeah. I mean, there's something like making your cool PC mini, but you know, you know how hard it is to, to wrangle up like 30 goblin minis. I mean, they're all they're, you, you get these packs and it's like you get two goblins, three goblins. You know, and if you want a horde of goblins, you got to spend a lot of money. But if you just make your own. Yep. That's very cool. That's why Pathfinder started doing like, do you see like Pathfinder where they have those little like cardboard cutouts that you can put on like a little yeah, standies. And yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, 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 I think they call them pawns. And so, yeah, yeah, you can have those. So, I mean, that's a way of doing it, but it doesn't look as cool as having minis. So, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, that's, it's good to have you back on the show, Nate. It's great to be here. 
All right. And so next up, uh, you know, normally it's our five minute controversy, but this time I didn't really see any controversies that were jumping out at me in the Geekosphere. And so what I wanted to talk about was an amazing trailer that dropped just before we started recording. I mean, a day or two before we started recording. And that is the uh, Kong versus Godzilla, or is it Godzilla versus Kong? I, I didn't pay it's attention Godzilla. to which one. Okay, yeah. Godzilla versus Kong trailer that just dropped. Um, so... Uh, start us off on this one, Nate, because I don't really know what anybody's like relationship with like the Godzilla and Kong like franchises are. Like, d- how did you feel about the uh, the trailer, Nate? Well, I had I had feelings uh, about just the just when they told us about it, like, mm-hmm. like two years ago, three years ago, and they were going to do a whole series of of King of Monster universe. Um, and uh, when they said Godzilla versus Kong, I got real excited. But then I was like, wait a minute. I was thinking about like trying to piece together how it was going to work with the Godzilla Lord that they had already set up. And then the King Kong Lord that they already set up. I'm like, well, King Kong is going to be like 150 years old by the time they catch up. And, uh, uh, but just the action it's, you know, this is, this is like, uh, this is just, you just watch big things punch each other. That's right. That's what this movie is. Uh, and if you want anything deeper than that, go read a book. (laughs) (laughs) Like they don't come to this movie going like, I really appreciated the character arc of Kong and the little girl. We're going to punch things and we're going to blow things up. (laughs) That's right. I like the way that you put that. Go read a book if you're not here for this. (laughs) I mean, seriously, like people who were bitching about Godzilla King of Monsters a couple years ago and how the plot was a little thin and it was a lot of monster fighting. I'm like, that's why we're here, dude. We're here for the monster fighting. Right, because that was the thing. Like, I I did not like the original, like, Godzilla, like, in 2014, whatever year it was when they made it. Like, I did not care for that. Uh, no, 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 no! I'm talking about the no. the, re- the first with, one uh, in the series with, that oh, they okay, yeah, with yeah. um yeah uh, Gareth uh, Gareth Edwards, right? No, no, no it was director's Walter team? White. Uh, yeah, uh, um, the guy who played Walter no, White. No, I'm talking the director. Out. Oh, the de- yeah, I think it was Gareth Edwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, I didn't care for that one because I felt that one did dwell too much on the human characters, and the mm-hmm. monster fights weren't that interesting. But King of Monsters and and then Kong Skull Island, I was like, okay, they figured it out with those two. Those were great movies. Those were really fun. The action was really great. And Kong Skull Island, I think, actually did the best of balancing the human characters with the monster fighting. So you still had some like cool characters and everything. Well, that's you know, Kong can emote. Like mm-hmm. there's not a lot of like little points on Godzilla's face that can express an emotion. Cause it's just this lizard, but you right. know, Kong is us, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I, after those two, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for this. Cause they've figured out how to make these, but uh, yeah. yeah, Sean, what did you think of the trailer? I mean, I- I've talked about this many times in many places. Uh, two of my biggest loves, like just in general, are are giant robots and giant monsters. Um, I've talked about how Pacific Rim literally said we're going to put giant robots and giant monsters in the same movie and they're going to beat up out of each other. And I said, as long as they deliver on that point, I'm happy. The plot could be completely garbage. If a giant robot punches a giant monster one time in the face, I'm there for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did that. And, I mean, and come on, the, the, the rocket punch. You know, right? I mean, I'm all for it, right? That was awesome. Yeah, so when I see Godzilla versus Kong, I'm like, are Godzilla and Kong really going to fight? And in the trailer, it's clear they're going to fight. I'm like, I'm here for it. Like, that's all I need. (laughs) 
and it looks like more than one fight. Like there, it does. Yeah. It looks like it's a multi-prong. Like you know, what one fight's going to go Kong, one fight's going to go Godzilla, and then they're going to go for the tiebreaker. I'm okay with that. You know. <laughs> well, and then you think about the lore that they set up in King of Monsters, and the fact that mm-hmm. you know, like the kaiju used to rule the earth, but then there was always like one that had to be like the alpha, and right. like so they fight, and so then you can see like Kong coming in on the script scene as like a new potential alpha, and the two of them right. having to fight. But then you also know that they're there's like the possibility of an upset with one of the other monsters getting involved. Like they even see in the trailer, there's those giant birds. Yeah. Um, well, you also have, you know, in Skull Island, the fact that, you know, Skull Island's one of the the the, the egress points for the NTIs, or I think that's what they were called, the NTIs. Um, and, and that's where like those really crazy new monsters come out of and Kong's their natural predator. He keeps the ecosystem in check. So, I mean, it's very easy. If somebody takes Kong away from Skull Island and he sees a giant monster, he's like, I have not done my job. I must punch this lizard until he's dead and i'm like so i i get that you know kong is the natural defense system to keep godzilla you know alpha you know and, and so all of a sudden kong thinks he hasn't done his job right because he doesn't realize that godzilla is doing the job on a macro scale and, and kong is keeping the new ntis coming up so stuff like that i think is very interesting uh, uh but i i think it's going to be a lot of fun um but yeah as soon as i uh, i just watched the trailer the guys watched me watching it right before we started and, and as soon as i showed that little girl i was like is he getting a mothra little girl like, like back in the 60s you know there was always one little girl that would make sure that mothra actually they were twins they're but they, twins, they would yeah. always make sure that you know mothra would come to the call and i'm like kong's getting a little girl you know <laughs> she's gonna just sing some song and woo, here comes godzilla and like uh, here comes kong out, out of like you know lotus petals poof and he's just ready to drop the you know, well i mean that was the thing that i think king of monsters also did well is that they gave the monsters themselves characteristics mm-hmm. so yeah. they weren't just big things that attacked and so like mothra really was like the defender of the earth like she ends mm-hmm. up being in a lot of the older ones but like mothra like you tear up like when mothra dies it's like my god i'm thinking of mothra mothra's my favorite you know like, it's, it's like i was that. always they a big even, fan of rodan yeah they, they pull in like the uh like the mothra theme and everything for mm-hmm, little mm-hmm. riffs and everything like the old mothra theme and i really loved it because beth and i right now we're watching through all of the godzilla franchise and oh, order God. we're we're in the uh we're almost done with uh with the 90s ones um and we're about to move into the millennium like series uh well but, hey at uh, least when you get to the millennium series you get to watch other godzillas beat the crap out of the broderick godzilla and like just kick the living crap out of him so you're almost there you're almost to like one of the great moments of um catharsis in the godzilla fridge <laughs> god i love that movie yeah there because uh you know we uh we, we've seen various ones over the years but i know i've never watched it completely and so that's mm. why we're watching them in order because i don't even know for sure which ones exactly i've seen so right um yeah but anyway um eric what do you think of the trailer Oh, the trailer was fantastic. I'm just getting a kick out of And Sean reacted when I did this. There's a reason my sleeve is up. Uh, obviously, the listeners can't can't hear this, but uh, I have a Godzilla sleeve. And Nathan over here, who I know for a fact has seen the picture before. Oh, I don't know anybody's relationship with Godzilla. Jeez. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Maybe Godzilla, Mecha Godzilla. Oh, no, actually, that's uh, the Green Ranger Zord, isn't it? Yeah, that's the yeah, Dragon yeah. Zord. <laughs> Fighting oh, yeah. Godzilla. But... Fighting Godzilla, yeah. No, it's uh, apparently I'm the only one that knows the toy line can't kind of gave away the huge big bad for the film. So uh, 
But, I'm, um, I'm very blessed by staying away from spoilers. I, no, I'm I, not gonna. I'm not gonna spoil it. Let's well, no, no, but I'm saying a... like I stay away from like trailers and like news on toys and stuff. I just wait for the movie. Like I, I, I found a way. I don't know how I stupid it into it, but I, I'm actually really good at avoiding major spoilers. Like I didn't even know what happened in Wandavision until I watched the last three episodes yesterday. <laughs> I was able, I was able to avoid all the spoilers, and I was like, how the hell did I do that? You know. So, but yeah. <laughs> but no, um. I'm I actually kind of love that this trailer is absolutely subverting expectations and I'll I'll keep it as vague vague as possible because obviously I don't want to spoil anything for anybody but the human element is very much at pl- at play and it might not be everything it appears to be and I'm very very curious about that. I mean people probably know what I'm talking about if you've seen that teaser at the very end of the King of the Monsters uh but or King of Monsters, excuse me. But yeah, there's a very big human element at play that I'm really curious about. And I kind of love that this trailer pretty much went, went, oh, Godzilla, I mean, uh, King Kong, we totally need King Kong. He's he's here for us. And it's just like, huh, they're playing that human element very well right now. <laughs> so I'm very excited to see just how much, uh, how much they play with that in the actual, in the movie. Well, ever since they killed off Let Them Fight guy, I don't really care very much about any of the remaining humans. So it's like... <laughs> I mean, but let's so give them credit, though. One thing they did that was phenomenal was when they did Skull Island and they actually introduced Sam Jackson as the foil to that movie. Yeah. And you actually felt a little concerned that Kong may not make it through because it's Sam <laughs> Effin Jackson. You're like, oh, crap. I don't think Kong making it through this movie. I mean, there's literally a moment in the movie where like, God, like uh, King Kong comes down and he's looking right at Sam Jackson, who's all up. Uh, of the size of one nostril of Kong, right? <laughs> and you're like, Sam going to hit him so hard, Kong going to fall over dead. Like, <laughs> he's just going to go super saiyan, get blonde hair. And oh, just... <laughs> I was thinking he was going to whip out a purple lightsaber. Something, right? What a <laughs> twist. I, I was scared for Kong, you know, but that, that, that's what I love about these movies is that there, there is a way for them to put a human element into it, but still make it fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and once they got away from that, Brian Cranston, I've got to discover what Godzilla is BS that they spent 90 minutes on in that flick. And they, they, the last like half hour of Godzilla is fantastic. The first hour and a half is just, can we get to the monster? already? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Yeah. They made it boring, which it should never be. Mm. I always love that. Like, and I mean, Gareth Edwards, fantastic director. And it's terrible that I can pop his name into my head instantly, but I can never remember the name of the guy that directed trick or treat, but you get a, pop culture horror director attach himself to you know the king of the kaiju and then you get you get instant fun like sure people have their issues with king king of monsters but at the same time you can tell the heart is there you can tell this is a fanboy who grew up with the franchise and that very much helps because i think i think he was still attached to uh to uh godzilla versus kong because i think he's he directed this one too or was at least a producer on it and you can tell just tonally right off the bat that it's still very much a love letter to the things to the things he grew up you know loving which we all love just as well like you you can tell when someone loves something versus someone who comes in to try to make it if that makes if that makes sense it's sort of like the 
it's sort of like my issue with uh ready player one and stephen king i mean not stephen king uh in steven spielberg but that's a whole nother a whole nother can of worms that's another podcast yeah. Well, yeah no i mean i mean i get your point because it's the difference between jj abrams on star trek and the jj abrams on star wars you can feel yeah, the exactly. love with jj yep. abrams on star wars and you don't feel it with star trek so yeah i get oh no i was thinking the other way around well by the way you're thinking of michael doherty um who not oh, only did you. trick-or-treat he also did krampus yeah people forget that krampus. he's also the same guy responsible for krampus which is one of the like the great modern like christmas horror movies yeah uh, and then of course he did you know Godzilla, King of Monsters. Yeah. So, yep. <laughs> little, 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 indie little film, love that guy. Teeny film. So, yeah. All right. So, yeah. And I mean, I think we're all very excited about Godzilla versus Kong. And I think that they've, you know, proven themselves with the last couple of movies, like I said, you know, with uh, King of Monsters and, and Skull Island. So, it should be what we're hoping for with this. And and to be fair, I mean, like, even though there have been lots of Godzilla movies since 1954, there's only been one godzilla versus kong because of the universal rights. rights and working that out so i mean like so this is the first time we get to see that done like redone since 1963 so i mean that's exciting just in its just by itself is is this is a fight we haven't seen in with a modern you know uh, uh you know storytelling so i i'm i'm here i'm here for it so <laughs> i i am really curious to see if someone's going to be able to top the super group that was serge tankian brendan smalls and uh bear mccurry on the uh on their version of godzilla because that that cover is such a good version of of that song so i'm really curious to see if somebody tries to swoop in and top that hmm all right but yeah no we'll see when it comes out and uh you know thankfully with hbo max uh you know doing the thing now where they're releasing straight to the service we can see it you know when it comes out without risking you know going to a theater where we might get COVID 19 so um you know this is it's gonna be really exciting but uh that's uh the end of talking about that uh but before we talk about doom patrol let's pause for a moment for a promo from another fine podcast so Brittany, martha <laughs> Tell me about your podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like we're in sync, but also kind of a disaster. We are always a disaster. So our podcast is fun if you want to hear two people talk about and complain about stuff that <laughs> they love and also hate. And drink. And drink. And the show is Thanks. called. Oh. <laughs> but, but first, let's, let's talk nerdy. nerdy. And you can find us on the ESO Network. Ba-ding. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> Welcome to Dr. Laboratory. Dr. Geek here with another reminder that the ESO Network is pro-science and pro-vaccine. We urge you to be a superhero and protect yourself, your family, and your fellow geeks around the world. Don't be fooled by the forces of evil and their anti-science misinformation campaign. Consult the latest CDC guidelines, your doctor, and get the COVID vaccine today. And we're back. And like we talked about at the beginning of the show, we are talking about Doom Patrol this time. And so that is a series that I knew absolutely nothing about before getting into it. The characters of Doom Patrol are ones that I was never familiar with um, from anything that I knew about DC. And I'm pretty sure that I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, just so that the audience all knows. 
um, what everybody's background is with the characters. Uh, but um, Sean, um, I'm pretty sure you were familiar with Doom Patrol before the show. But uh, I'm just yes. gonna, yeah, okay. uh, yeah, I, I uh, my dad was a huge fan of Doom Patrol. Um, my, my dad was and Nathan knows this uh, has always been a DC kid. He, he, he likes Marvel, but he's always been more partial to the DC comics. And he likes the ideas that sometimes Marvel comes up with, but he doesn't like how they execute things. So he tends to like the DC flavors of them. So like when you look at like, you know, the X-Men, he tends to want to see things like Doom Patrol or Teen Titans and things like that. He likes that kind of version of it because their character is closer to his heart. Um, he introduced me to uh, Doom Patrol in 1986 when they did Secret Origin number one, uh, which was actually, if you've never heard of this book series, uh, at that particular point, DC was having a problem because they were moving into uh, what we now know as the Bronze Age of comic books. And they had had two massive eras of, uh, of comics coming into it. Um, and they were trying to explain what still counted as canon and what didn't. And they came up with this brilliant idea where they would call it Secret Origin giant double-sized comic half the comic would be towards you know character a and then the other half would be towards character b and if you bought this monthly book you'd be able to catch up on everybody's origin story so you would know what counts for batman what counts for superman and the very first book they did uh in secret origins number one was actually a double-sized doom patrol and they were basically letting you know where doom patrol came from i had never read this book before but it literally caused me to cry as a kid because, and I found this out later, it, it is one of the few comics where the first time it was ever canceled, they killed off all the characters. This wasn't a, they ride off into the sunset and everybody's happy. Um, the original Doom Patrol actually dies, saving the world and humanity from this threat that's going on. And actually it wasn't even humanity. It was actually a small town. It was a fishing village, which is what made it even more tragic because nobody knew that they saved this little tiny village of like 1500 people. Um, but they knew if the four of them sacrificed their lives, this village would be saved. Um, stuff like that. Um, and that just, it freaked me out because I'm like eight years old and I'm like, heroes can die. Um, and then the second half of Secret Origin is what happened to the Doom Patrol since the 60s all the way up until they had released the new book, um, which basically introduces you to some of the other characters. And uh, I'd always been fascinated by them. Um, the TV show is based mostly on the Grant Morrison stuff. Uh, which is stuff that I've never actually been a huge fan of because uh, he deals with something called the literals, which we'll get into later. Um, but Grant Morrison did a lot of drugs in the 70s and the 80s, <laughs> and it, it shows. And I, I that aesthetic goes a long way with me. A little bit goes a long way. So as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate the ideas and the concepts behind it. But as a kid, I was like, eh, you know, so it, it, it kind of swing and a miss in certain aspects. But I always appreciated the fact that the Doom Patrol was what I consider what the X-Men really should have been. These were people who could never be accepted in, in society. They, they, their, their powers, the things that made them unique were so weird, they were freaks, you know? Everybody's like, Wolverine's the best mutant ever. And I'm like, he looks like a short, hairy guy, you know? Like for me, mutants are always like Nightcrawler and stuff. The guys who literally can't walk down the street because you know there's something wrong with them. And the Doom Patrol, they're even more weird. Yeah, I hate the invention of image inducers in X-Men because it allows them to sidestep that very issue of right. now Nightcrawler and Beast can look like regular people by using an image inducer. And you know, like, it's like, it takes yeah. away like what makes them, like what makes yes. it like the, the unique 
unique thing is the fact that they are freaks and like they have to react yeah. to that. Yeah. You know, or like Angel, you know, when Warren Worthington would have to strap down his his wings, you know, like right. that was the thing in the 60s. He would literally strap them down like a corset so he could walk around in public, you know, like and, and that was always fascinating. But as you said, they became so hot character wise that, you know, they just were mutants. They were stylish humans, basically. Right. Whereas the Doom Patrol for me is what I think X-Men should have been and should stay, which is they are legitimately freaks. And even though they're trying, they fail a lot. Um, and I find that concept for the last 40 years to be such a rich environment. And I wish, I, honest to God, I wish X-Men would lean more into the weirdness of it. Um, and for them, weirdness is time travel and Messiah, you know, little girls and stuff like that. And, and Doom Patrol's like, no, we got a carton of milk that talks to you. <laughs> You know, and I'm there for it, you know, or, or, the, or, they're, they're, or there's or, the burrito. Or an evangelical cockroach that right, is telling you that the world is is, is ending. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Wait, wait till you get to modern Doom Patrol if you ever read the books and they, they have the whole burrito. There's a whole story arc about a burrito and I'm not even going to spoil it, but they're literally, it's about a burrito. It, it's crazy. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to put a pin in some of your, your thoughts about like the Doom Patrol, what makes it like, yeah, like sorry, relevant I went on and a stuff. Tangent. But, sorry, uh, but yeah, name. like Nate, Nate, did you have any knowledge of the Doom Patrol before this show? No. Um, <laughs> I had no idea. When they announced it, I was like, oh, that's cool. Let me look it up. And I look it up and I'm like, who the, who are these people? And I was like, oh, cool. Brendan Fraser is going to be, uh, you know, the robot man. But What's his powers? <laughs> Nothing. He he drives a car really good. <laughs> what? He's a robot. Yeah. Can he punch through walls? Kinda. You know, yeah, it's stronger like, than a person. Yeah. He's, he's slightly stronger than a person. You know, but he's kind of clunky. Does right, he run but he's really like fast? A, like no. He's an old. He's like a sixties idea of a robot rather yeah. than like a modern idea of and, a robot. <laughs> you know, and then there's you know Rita Far. Oh, she can. She's like Clayface. Uh, if he had like really severe emotional problems um <laughs> those are connected to how he controlled his powers mm-hmm. um but like the metaphor of everything was just is great i mean mm-hmm. i think by far jane's my favorite in the show i didn't think she was going to be um but the actress who plays jane was yeah so no i had no idea but i looked it up when they announced it and i was like this is weird but i don't like it it's like it's like uh you know guardians of the galaxy weird Mm -hmm. probably more weird right oh definitely more weird (laughs) yeah and uh eric i'm pretty sure i know the answer but just to let everybody know uh were you familiar with doom patrol beforehand yes but in a slightly different way than sean because mine was more the multimedia aspect where um where i knew of the doom patrol just because you know how many comic books i've been reading since i since i was a kid but like through like the Jeff Johns Teen Titans stuff. I think like some of the some of the different events where he kept pulling them in and you would meet certain characters. I've read bits and pieces of the Gerard Way stuff, which has been really interesting and fascinating to kind of get into. The burrito. I knew of Grant's I knew of Grant's material. Mm-hmm. Um in the back of my brain I'm I try not to say you know, try not to say he nowadays because he came out as non-binary so like my brain keeps trying to go like they oh, has them, he? but like yeah uh, oh i, I didn't know that my, my mistake apologies no, no 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 you're good it's i'm saying in my head like i tried to just say grant or you know what i mean like like their run because like in the back of my head still getting used to terminology with that kind of stuff uh just to be but um oh, what was i gonna say oh yeah and the cart uh the cartoon uh teen titans cartoon when they uh 
when they threw in the Doom Patrol was always one of my one of my favorite um what was that three four part episode I think I think they yeah, did think like so. a whole like it was a movie length uh, situation mm-hmm. but that wasn't even the whole team I think we got to see Rita and we got to see uh Rita the chief and uh and Cliff and those were obviously very different versions than what we're seeing on the on the show so it was more like I have a minor knowledge of the the Doom Patrol uh versus the 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 adapted Doom Patrol that we that we see on the show which I have very obviously fallen in love with I think I was going to say I think Sean knows because I think we've talked at length on like separate Facebook posts when we were first exposed to that for through the first season where it was just like what are we watching and why is this so amazing and <laughs> then of course you get into the whole background stuff which we'll get into where you have you know Matt Bomer and Brendan Fraser and like you're pulling in this amazing cast uh obviously uh obviously Nathan's favorite who we'll get into <laughs> yeah I was about to say how do you not name the one that's the most important but okay I know Danny. I know D- Danny's Dalton. amazing we we love Danny <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> Danny is amazing yeah um but uh yeah so um yeah um so have you each seen um titans or at least seen enough of it to see where they did do their own version of doom patrol that was kind of close but not quite yeah not the live action one. Oh, okay so they did an episode of titans in season one with the doom patrol and it was kind of like their first run at this where it was a different guy playing the chief it wasn't timothy dalton um they didn't have jane it was actually a different person playing um negative man also but he was but you can't tell because of the mat you know the wrapped up and everything you can't tell that it was a different person but it was a different rita was the same it was still brendan fraser as mr robot and beast boy was part of their group initially until he transitions over to the titans which and- is actually accurate to the comic beast boy is part of the original doom patrol oh, okay all right fair yeah. enough but yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. but the thing is and, and they've revealed that those are separate earths now which explains right. why the chief is different and everything but like I so I saw that first. I watched Titans first, and then I watched Doom Patrol, and I was super underwhelmed by that episode <laughs> of Titans. I was like, "Oh, is this is this what's gonna be?" And and I think I realized when I watched Doom Patrol that the reason why it works is because of Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton is so good, and the guy that they had playing the Chief was so bad in that Titans episode. <laughs> like there was no energy from that guy. He was just like a dude, and it was just like. But then we got Timothy Dalton playing the Chief, and like everything just sort of coalesced around that because you've got this thing that Timothy Dalton always does so well of just this like sort of like even when he's not angry, you feel like he could be angry. I don't know. It's like this, it's like this sort of like, he's ready to take things up to 11 and it's just simmering there. And like, it's, it, it really makes his character magnetic and it really brought you in right from the beginning when the characters are, they lose him. And then it's like, they're like, what do we do now? Because this is the guy that like, you know, brought us all together and we were living with and that it's gone like do we have a purpose and that like sort of like like cast the whole thing um forward from there and uh i absolutely adore timothy dalton i mean i'm just going to throw that out as a disclaimer but uh i do think that like having him as the chief has been one of like the really great highlights of 
the show. I mean, I, I don't know if I can fully endorse that, though. Um, not to say that Timothy Dalton isn't a great... Ver- when you're comparing Chiefs, he's the better Chief, no doubt. Um, but when you look at what they were doing in Titans, in Titans, they were already fairly well-adjusted. Cliff was okay with being Robot Man at that point. Mm-hmm. Rita was walking around. She didn't have the problems holding her body together. Like, that wasn't really an issue. Freak, Larry Trainer was in the kitchen going crazy to La Bamba, flipping pancakes and stuff. You know, like, that was how he dealt with his trauma was through making delicious meals. They, they, they were a very well-adjusted Doom Patrol. Whereas the Doom Patrol TV show, you could see that those elements are still there, but they're having a lot more difficult times. Um, the, the closest we've gotten to Larry being the happy-go-lucky pancake flipper was at the very end of season one where they were in the, the loop where he was making like the stacks of pancakes and at the very beginning of season two where he's making the little miniature pancakes. <laughs> that was my favorite. Was oh my God. <laughs> they're all awesome. shrunk and he's trying to make mm-hmm. the teeny tiny He's trying to make them like little eggs. And yeah, I mean, but that, that's about the closest they've done. But yeah, they were a far more well-adjusted version of the Doom Patrol than what we get in this standalone version. Yeah. Um, for better or worse, you know. So, but like I said, but yeah, as far as like if you're measuring like Chiefs to Chiefs, mm. Timothy Dalton is clearly the better Chief. Uh, even though I really wish that they'd have found a way to work in the fact that this was the same world, because I would have loved to have that little bit of negativity towards uh, Garth, Beast Boy, because uh, uh, through that episode, if you guys haven't seen it, in Titans, the Chief had figured out a way to walk again. So he had gotten his legs back like months earlier and he's walking around and he's happy. He's well adjusted. And by the end of the episode, through the misadventures of Garth and hanging out with the Doom Patrol, Chief's back in the wheelchair and not necessarily too happy about it either. And, and I thought that would have really been an interesting thing if they'd started the TV show somewhere after that. But obviously they, they, they made it its own universe and Cyborg becomes their Garth almost, which is a little weird. Um but that's because I guess since they couldn't have one Titan, they went to another. Um, but I like Cyborg as part of the Doom Patrol. I mean, he does have a hard time. He doesn't, he has a hard time walking around the world because everybody basically, he, he, they, they kind of want to have a celebrity boyfriend. So he, he can't meet people. I just feel like Cyborg is the one element that actually doesn't work. Like, I feel like his character and talking with people and they're like, yeah, Cyborg was never really part of the Doom Patrol in the comics at all. And like, it just feels like he doesn't belong in the way that all the other characters do. I think the one thing I, how do I put this? There's a really, really good comic. Um, Forgive the name of it. Uh, It's called Incognito. I don't know if you've ever read this book. It came out in the mid-2000s. It's about a black man who basically can pass for a white person. He becomes a private detective, and he's passing in a white world. Um, And it talks about the fact that even though he has this ability to walk around in the white communities in the 40s, um, it's very difficult for him, too, because he is black. And he has a hard time relating to his own people because they see him as kind of a race traitor. They're like, well, you know, you're you're hanging out with the white people and blah, blah. So it it was very difficult for this person because he's kind of a man in both worlds. And he was it was very difficult difficult for him to kind of survive and a stranger in both yeah he's a stranger in both and that's how i kind of see what cyborg is doing cyborg is very clearly a freak the man is missing at the end of this first season of doom patrol he's what up 40 he only has like 40 percent of his body left right you know he, he's basically a, a slab of meat in a head and, and not even a whole head you know uh he, he's just as much of a freak as everybody else in order to stay alive but he's found a way to market himself as a superhero and people look up to him but he doesn't feel like he's part of that world but to the doom patrol they're like you're the goal man you can walk out and people love seeing you you know but he doesn't feel like he's part of that world so i i like what they do with cyborg he, he's not as broken in that capacity but he also has a very hard time 
again, he, he can't relate to being a full freak, but he can't relate to being completely normal either. And I, I think that's the great lifting that they're doing with that character because he is in their mind, the goal. Um, and he's like, don't be like me, be better. Uh, uh, and I think that's interesting. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I don't like, well, I also don't like how he looks. I feel like his cybernetics look like they're cheap plastic, like, uh, you know, like add-ons and stuff. Like it's, it's, it, it looks yeah. really, skiz- you know, like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I don't feel like the actor really brings it either. I mean, I don't, I don't really care for him at all. Now, if they did a steel and stone spinoff, like what, um, you know, that, that <laughs> I am there for that show. The <laughs> I just want Cliff walking around in drag with the giant Afro wig. <laughs> and the, the the fur coat oh my god that was so funny that was so good was i was so like good. they 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 need to make that show i want a season of that like 70s or just like show, a one episode one episode. <laughs> yeah they could totally do it for just one episode they could totally do it and the chief is the chief of police and like you know it's just this whole thing i love it i love that everybody was an afro the chief was an afro cliffs in an afro everybody's an afro except i mean even at one point you know uh uh uh, uh, uh cyborg's in an afro but then he's not like it's, it's a little more kemp you know but everybody else is in an afro it, it, it is a very self-aware show and i love that yeah, yeah yeah no that's true yeah i mean and mr nobody's whole shtick was being very self-aware uh mm-hmm. but but yeah we, we've been kind of like talking about this a lot so talking um, around it yeah right um, so, <laughs> so nate i mean since we're just talking about cyborg what do you think about cyborg um i think cyborg uh, you know at fr- he kind of grew on me in the second season mm. um the first season i was like what's this no i mean and i'm thinking you know my first exposure to uh cyborg was uh, teen titans cartoon booyah cyborg and so i'm like who's this guy you know <laughs> um but you know I, I i did see his strife the way like sean you know explained like how he's sort of you know he has a foot in each world and doesn't really belong in either uh, which is a valuable, you know, it, it's a, it's a worthwhile story to tell, <clears throat> but yeah, the cybernetics suck. The, the cop, the makeup on it is there's just glued on pieces of plastic. Um, yeah, it looks they, like they, cosplay they rather than like cybernetics. I mean, yeah, it looks it, like, like, yeah, it's, and it, and it's weird because like everybody else gets really good makeup and, and special effects for their characters. And I don't know. Maybe they just like had to, they were going to use someone else, and then they're like, "Oh crap, we got to use Cyborg now," and right. they didn't have any budget left. Make I wondered if they cast a different actor originally because even the Cyborg head, like the part on his head, doesn't match up. Like the eye, like his real eye is here, and the eye on the yeah, cybernetics is down here. And I'm like, was that bit made for a different actor? And then they just pasted head, on yeah. his, his, yeah. So I, I don't think so, but my my guess on it, like especially comparing it to the rest of the practical effects used throughout both seasons. I think it was more the way they, the way they chose to like paint, paint and like model the prosthetics. I think something just kind of something half halfway through production kind of like snagged, but they had to keep with it because it was, it was too far into production for them to step back and kind of, kind of fix it. Because they, especially in season two, the back end of season two, I feel like his a lot of his prosthetics 
seemed to like finally hit the right right point like it it instead of feeling like shiny plastic it actually started looking like you know like actual like like it looked like it was part of him except for when he went with the cannon yeah but he still has that crooked eye i can't i can't get over the yeah. crooked eye well yeah that's the thing that i could say yeah i thought his prosthetics looked a little bit better too in season two but i was like but they didn't adjust the eye why didn't they adjust the eye it bothers me every time i see so, it so here's the thing i've actually gone back and this was bugging me the first time i watched it through. i've watched it i watched okay. the seasons through three times now just because mm-hmm. i wanted to be really prepared for this so i've watched all both seasons three times i've gone okay. very doom patrol wow um, i watched it once okay <laughs> seriously i love doom patrol like you you guys have no idea like it, it, it's i i don't talk about it a lot because a lot of people don't know what it is it's like talking about shazam like people kind of go like who you know like i say captain marvel they think i'm talking about carol danvers you know so, but but my point is is uh, i went back his eyes actually do line up but because the way the prosthetic the, the the metal part of his brow changes his forehead so the forehead part doesn't line up which makes his eye look like it's lower but the eyes actually are on the same level and i didn't even believe it until i took a ruler like last week and i put it and i went no those are str- they're parallel but it doesn't photograph like that because they they did this thing with the forehead and it makes him look like he's got more forehead on the metal part so then i went to my comics yeah like- i went to my comics and i looked at it and i was like it looks even weird in the comics like this design has always looked ganky like he has never looked cutting edge even in justice league it looks a little weird if you look at like the the george perez marv marv wolfman run mm-hmm. with like the weird drift like original like original cyborg costume <laughs> the jumpsuit like, thing yeah like yeah that that definitely adds to your point because you look at that and it's yeah. like something's off here but you yeah. can't you can't tell where so and you know what bugs me is that he grows his hair out a little bit and so because the the metal structure stays close to the skull and yep. then his hair goes up just a little bit above it. It looks like the skull part isn't a firmly attached to his head. It looks like they screwed it up somehow. And, and honestly, I think it's because they need to like, they, like I, I think the actor just didn't want to cut his hair, but I think they, they yep. should have gotten him a super close cut head. So he was almost bald. And I think it would sell the illusion a little bit more. Okay. I wasn't even thinking about that. And sorry yeah. to get super technical, but this is like the nerdy practical practical effects mm-hmm. part of my brain because i love practical effects i wa- love watching that all those co- kind of cool behind the scenes stuff especially when it comes to like horror and cult movie right. type of stuff when they usually have to apply a makeup like uh especially with like sean probably knows exactly where i'm going with this like the bald cap in that kind of situation no matter what you do you can try to apply that perfectly and no matter what you do especially when it comes to like a prosthetic that's going to be covering like a majority of the face right because like you can even look back on stuff like phantom of the opera no matter what that always is going to come out janky they have never been able no practical effects makeup artist has ever been able to truly perfect that the only person who's gotten close is stan winston and terminator 2 yep yeah, Terminator One, it didn't quite work. In Terminator Two, they got it. Um, but that's it. So it could have been, it could have been a mix of, and obviously it sounds like Sean and I are making excuses for the for the people on the show. We're cyborg apologists. <laughs> it could have been a mix between the bald cap and the glue. Yeah, because like if you glue wrong, it's gonna like no matter what you do, it's always gonna have like. Like, let me see if I can, <laughs> like, it's going to be that inch away from the head, if that makes sense, you know? Like, right, yeah, it's lifted up a little bit, yeah. It can be here in, you Yeah, know. it's lifted up a little bit, and it makes it difficult to sit it. But, and I think that's, 
I also think that we're being very, we're trying to be apologetic to also the fact that you're dealing with a TV show that has massive special effects in every shot. I mean, you know, the guy who's playing Larry Trainer, the mime actor who's actually in those bandages, God forbid, how much of a pain in the ass oh, that yeah. must have been every day, right? I mean, there, there is a lot going on just between Cliff and Negative Man, right? I mean, they're, they're uh, full well, body was, prosthetics, yeah. I was going to bring that up um, if we talked about it a little later, where it was like, both both Brendan and Brendan Fraser and Matt Bomer were on set, but I think it was like the 70-30 split where like 70% of it was them doing the voice work on set or like, you know, like where 30% of it is them in the costume, but the other 70, the bulk of it is their stunt actor who also gets time to shine every once in a while because I did, I think they did manage to sneak in a few like blink and you miss it moments of the stunt actors getting the chance to shine. Definitely, I am 100% certain of this. Definitely, definitely in any of the Danny Danny episodes, I guarantee the stunt actors were were in there, like as not. Oh yeah, they're in there. For, yeah, yeah, without the suits, but yeah, it's kind of an interesting way to way to have the celebrity kind of take a step. You know, the big name take take a step back and let their uh, let the stunt actor like do a lot of the stuff. Because I remember listening to Brendan Fraser uh, have a few interviews where he he basically did the same thing Ryan Reynolds does, where it's like. No, they, like they know what they're doing. <laughs> I'll I'll do the voice work, but like I want this you I want you guys to know this guy is doing a huge bulk of that work. <laughs> right, and and honestly, we should give them a shout out. Uh, Riley Shanahan was the the physical actor for Robot Man, and uh, Matthew Zuck was the Larry Trainer uh, uh, stunt man. Um, I like to call them mimes because basically they, yeah. they did such a great job in their physical performance. Um, they, they they were just crushing it, uh, and I I look at that and um, oh, I forget his name off the top of my head he he's in star trek discovery he's the captain of the ship he also oh doug jones yeah doug jones i mean he's they're on par with doug jones for me because i mean i'm telling you the guy who they got to do robot man i was like this is going to be stupid because he doesn't even have a workable jaw which (laughs) that was the one thing that really threw me because in the comics at least robot man has the ability to emote with a with a steel trap jaw Mm -hmm. and they didn't even give him that and i was like all right but you get over it pretty quick that actor inside that suit for the 70, 80% of the chance, he does a really good job finding a way to emote with basically a shifting of the shoulders, a slight, in, you know, tilt of the head. Same thing with the guy who was basically Larry Trainer stunt double in the negative man bandages. They, they did a really good job of conveying the physicality of these characters. Um, and yeah, see, I wasn't even all. aware that um, Brandon Frazier was in the robot man costume at all because I knew, he had, yeah. I knew he had messed his back percent. up a long time ago and I felt like, oh, well, putting all that on him was probably too much. So I thought he was just there for the flashbacks and the voice work. I didn't even realize he yeah. was. You know, he did a little bit of it. He didn't do a lot, yeah. but he would do it from time to time. But yeah, but I mean, but then of course you have Brendan Fraser and then uh, Matt Bomer doing the voiceover work yeah. and, and clearly the, those actors and uh, sat down and they said let's figure out a way to to work together and ugh, that that I think was where the focus was because if you don't sell those two characters I don't care how good Cyborg looks the, the show falls apart mm-hmm. you know I mean you really got to focus on the fact that you have two characters that are not even seen because their complete bodies are taken over and right. uh, are covered I mean um, so it, it's it's critical that they nail those two. And I think they put the focus where it was needed. And I think they did a really good job of prioritizing, okay, Cyborg may not look 100, uh, but, you know, Robot Man and Negative Man, we got that, you know? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. I really like how they've, 
Doom Patrol really advanced this, and and you see it now, like with the Mandalorian and other newer mm-hmm. shows, where you have actors who aren't afraid to act without showing their face. Mm. They're you know they're doing classic acting with just you know their body and their physicality which isn't really tv acting or movie acting it's actually that type of acting you see more on stage yeah you know you can't see someone's like particular face when you're sitting far away on a stage stage actors act with their whole body and so this movement towards having actors cover their faces uh i really like because there's a lot of really good characters whose face is completely covered Mm -hmm. and then you have all this cheese stuff they did earlier where they're taking their helmet off all the time taking their mask off all the time so they can you know do their do their and they got to emote Uh, the raimi spider-man movies drive me nuts because he's whipping his mask off every five seconds it's like everyone has just seen your face stop it stop it i don't care if you're on a roof and you think nobody sees you somebody might see you stop it but and you listen to the commentary raymond's like well we have to see his face because we have to see the emotions that he's having in (laughs) this no you don't if he's a good actor he (laughs) can use body language to convey whatever emotion you want to convey you know, V for Vendetta yeah. taught us that, you know, like actors have been conveying emotions since like the Greek times. Yeah. Right. Where they wore masks and they acted like yep. just let the actors act. Well, you that's why need... I was saying we need to give, you know, Riley Shanahan and Matthew. Yeah, Zucca, exactly. Uh, we those need to give are... those two actors some real good big props because, you know, they're literally their mimes. And and mm-hmm. there's actually a lot of uh, really great actors out there who are mimes or just physical actors um, yeah. that never the get mo-cap a lot of, actors. Yeah, exactly. And they never get that chance to really mm-hmm. shine. Uh, I, I remember when Joss Whedon did that Hush episode, right? And they had to have the gentleman and they, they had to have people that did a whole episode. The bad guys never say a single word. There's no sound in the entire episode. And all the villainy had to be done through their, their body. So their hands had to move a certain way. So what did they do? They went and found like the best physical actors and they turned out to all be mimes. You know, and, and, and these guys, are, they're, they're, they're so focused on, you know, exactly what their pinky finger is doing and, and how their shoulders are shifting. Yeah, and you apply that to The Mandalorian. You apply that to Robot Man, Negative Man. You apply that to all these characters. It just works. Well, yeah, even with The Mandalorian, you got to consider the fact that that's three actors. They have two different actors in addition to, mm-hmm. you AJ know. Pascal, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and because and one's like their like gunplay actor and the other mm-hmm. one is like their hand-to-hand yeah. actor. And they all have got to like, match each other yeah and so it's like there's there's a tremendous amount of skill there not just in conveying like emotion and stuff but also making sure that you're conveying emotion the same way that the other guy would do it too and so it's extremely collaborative and and you see that collaboration and when it's working like in mandalorian and doom patrol i mean the fact that doom patrol has two characters that are doing this it's Mm -hmm. pretty amazing um i I cannot stress how much i am impressed by how doom patrol has handled robot i don't even know how doom patrol got made (laughs) because there's so many things that are conventionally wrong with (laughs) the show you have actors that are completely covered up right right um you know and you have uh just weird superpowers that are like the worst superpowers and uh and they're all flawed and they're all uh maybe not great people they're i mean they want to be you know and uh just the whole premise i don't even know how this got 
I didn't look it up. Is this another Berlanti production or is it not a Berlanti production? It is. It is. It is. is it? Berlanti. I think Berlanti just has so much cachet now because he's done so many successful series for DC that if he <laughs> says, hey, I want to do this really weird thing, they're like, sure, we'll give you a season. Like, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But right. you know, we're looking for more material for streaming. So let's try it. You but know. you know what would have been even more impressive is if it turned out to be Kaylee Cuoco from uh, 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 from the Harley Quinn series. She's like, okay, I'm going to do this Harley Quinn cartoon, but you also got to give me Doom Patrol. If Kaylee Cuoco had found a way to pull off Doom Patrol, I'd have been like, give her whatever she wants for the rest of her life. <laughs> you know, because I don't think anybody would have thought that, you know, the, 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 the straight girl in The Big Bang Theory, right? The one who's the non-geek would turn out to turn out one of the great DC properties of the last couple of years. I mean, that Harley Quinn be cartoon. be an iconic... Yes. Like as as much as the Mark Hamill Joker. Yeah, I mean, she know. crushed that Harley Quinn, you know, and she's she wants to do more stuff, you know. And I'm like, man, like who would have guessed? But if she'd have done that and then also had produced Doom Patrol, I'd be like, just give her the keys to DC, man. Like she's got it. You know? She knows what she's doing. <laughs> but Berlanti has been crushing. I mean, Berlanti for almost a decade now has been crushing uh, DC. Um, and uh, thank God, you know. Like, yeah, no, I mean, like he's made many popular movie. series over on the yeah. CW, and now he's making streaming ones in addition. So I mean, so and hey, I mean. I mean, like, even though, you know, like uh, Titans isn't everybody's cup of tea, I mean, Titans is really good, too. I mean, it's a different kind of show than Doom Patrol, definitely. Very but, different. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, all right. So let's talk about our favorite characters. Um, um, and, and again, just of the core group of Doom Patrol, uh, Eric, who is your favorite character? Uh, I will go, actually, because it's not even a cheat, because my personal favorite scene in the whole whole series so far is uh is the beautiful cover slash um musical bit with uh with larry singing uh people like us uh yeah. in the danny the street focus episode which is probably one of my favorite musical numbers i've seen in quite a long time and it's you know like you can tell how raw matt bomer's performance is while he's singing like like you can tell he's basically singing as a character and kind of kind of like being as raw and personable as possible and obviously it's a huge part of that scene but i mean talking about larry as a whole throughout this whole whole show larry trainer is the best version of the america uh, uh yeah american the best version of the invisible man we've seen since since the original uh actor in in 33 in the original invisible man i know yeah he's not the invisible man but obviously with the bandage and the prosthetics and everything he's the best incarnation of this flawed like um not not monster obviously he sees himself as a monster but these flawed human who can't really can't really express himself or touch other people without seriously hurting them you know if if you didn't have the uh the bandages that the chief helped create on right. and it's just it's this fascinating journey through both seasons where we just see so much raw personal human emotion from a man who has quite literally lost everything from his own humanity to the person that he was to the fact that he can't express himself naturally and i think that's one of the reasons i love that scene as much as i do because we get to see what like what larry could be if he was able to kind of release everything but 
you know how that scene ends is the fact that you know it was all basically happening in his brain which is just such a gut punch but it's still like you just want to you want to give the guy a hug because it's just like it's just like dear god dude come on (laughs) we even get to kind of kind of see larry's growth especially throughout season two in in what i think is a very underplayed moment in the fact that like no one else can go to the well with um with uh why is my brain freezing (laughs) jane with yeah no one else can go to the well with jane but um larry's pretty much the only one around but is still you know to the point that he's still basically like are you sure you're okay with doing this like he's still he's not selfishly going like no i'm not gonna help it's like no do, do you need a hand it's like he's gotten to that point where he's able to reach out to others and kind of like kind of understand where everybody else is coming from instead of being the closed off guy that we meet at the very beginning who we'd be lucky to see him see him having a one-on-one conversation with uh with somebody though i love those flashbacks too with uh between between him and um oh wow what the hell brain why did it suddenly freeze because we yeah no, it's because we were talking all, all the practical stuff. My brain right. just went. <laughs> yeah, no, I really like his relationship with Rita also. I mean, they've been oh, together yeah. the longest and everything and like that sort of friendship and everything that they've got together. I, I, I like that, that they kind of understand each other and each other's baggage and they kind of like give each other like the space slash comfort. Like when you, they need the one or the other, they're, they're kind of like, okay with that. Whereas like, you know, Jane and, um, and the, uh, Oh God, uh, Cliff. Cliff. Yeah, Cliff, Jane and yeah. Cliff. It's like they don't mm-hmm. care when they need something; they're gonna barge and bang on your door and pound it down or whatever. You know. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, when Andrew Drake, who was the uh, creator of the Doom Patrol, when it when it came out way back in the day in the '60s, um, he actually did make a conscious effort to try to play up tropes of the time. Um, Elastigirl, uh, Rita Farr's character, was originally attributed to the uh, Incredible Fifty Foot Woman. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, her powers originally had nothing to do with her body turning into a blob. Basically, she just had the ability to get big. She was basically giant man. She, yep. That's all she would. She would just become large. She, that was her whole power. Um, but people always said, that, "Well, she doesn't fit with the rest of the Doom Patrol because Cliff is a a brain in uh, a robot body and he has no sensation. He's constantly fighting against that. Larry is stuck inside of the the bandages and he can't have any contact and he's radioactive. Rita basically she just turns into a big girl. Like, how does that make her?" a freak on the same level. Um, and I like the fact that they went with the Clayface route. I thought making her like Clayface was a very smart idea um, with that. Uh, but all three are homages to essentially classic monster tropes. You have the 50-foot woman monster trope. You have the Frankenstein's monster robot trope in Cliff. And then you have the Invisible Man uh, slash alien ET presence uh, in the Negative Man. Um, and uh, that was something that I thought was really kind of interesting that that Drake brought to these characters characters uh so when you look at those original three because those were the first three doom patrollers uh with the chief um those are the the, that is his trope of what was sci-fi in the 50s and the 60s uh which i think is kind of an interesting way of looking at them um but yeah larry is is interesting in a lot of ways because of the fact that he wasn't gay in the comic books um but eventually something happens to him and I'm sure we can talk about this later, but in the comic books, essentially what happens is that the, the negative energy spirit realizes that being one gender isn't enough. 
uh, and it doesn't make sense to be one gender because you're only getting half the human experience. So it joins with a female. And so Larry and this female become one person. They become a hermaphrodite of sorts and they become a, a, an entity known as Rebus. Um, and uh, they're no longer Larry and they're no longer this woman. They're literally a fusion of the two personalities. Um, and, and that's so that way this creature can understand more of what it is. And at that point, the Larry personality is almost drowned out. It becomes, it is him, quote unquote, but it's not. Um, and that's when the negative man kind of evaporates and it becomes this, the, this third, you know, uh, they character. Um, but getting to that point, having the point of the negative spirit evolving to that point, you have to go through this denial phase. And I think what they've done and I think what they're setting up is I think eventually we're going to have uh, Valentina Vostok come back and, and we're going to have a Rebus-like mm. effect between their two negative spirits. And we're going to get uh, that Rebus character show up in some way. Um, but Larry has to come he has to basically be at peace and i think once he's at peace i think they're they're going to be so drawn to each other that they're going to slam together and they're going to become a new creature um at least that's my theory but um, but i like how larry's physical or, or mental denials um do not let him manifest his powers the way he does in the comics because in the comics he's an absolute badass uh, but he's only a badass at 60 seconds at a time oh yeah because that's oh, what yeah. happens is if the spirit leaves him for more than 60 seconds he just falls over dead yeah so <laughs> So, <laughs> um, yeah, I know. I see my my issue with Larry, and and I get that there's the whole thing of of he doesn't he feels like he's toxic, and because he's physically toxic, he doesn't want to be around people that he knew and whatever. But there's still a part of me that says like the fact of just like letting your kids like I get that the wife rejected him, but right. it's like letting your kids think that you're dead until like and it's basically like the negative spirit is like the person who's constantly forcing him to like do things you know and like yep. it gets him to go visit the son at the other son's funeral and i'm like yeah no wonder the son is so resentful you know like, i saw that coming a long way away yeah. i was like yeah like you let him think that you were dead the other is brother like was like trying to find you all his life and then he died commits you know? suicide becomes right. so hopeless he commits suicide because right. he still believes his dad's out there and can't prove it and kills himself right yeah, so like I mean, like i i have real problems with that as a character and so that makes it really hard for me to like larry that he you know, i don't think we're supposed to like him i, I <sighs> think what they're doing because the thing i think is beautiful about larry as far as a character is that he was the all-american hero he was a test pilot mm -hmm. he was the he was he was he, you know obviously a gorgeous man i mean let's mm -hmm. be fair right i mean but, uh matt is just a freaking just gorgeous looking guy right i mean just just <laughs> dear lord yep. um you know so you, you have this man who's just pretty as all get out you you know, he, he's he's literally cut from the right stuff. He's a, he's a test pilot. You know, he's an American hero and every single bit of it is a lie, you know. And so then he becomes this horrible freak and he goes into denial. Then he's taken into uh, 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 the, the ant farm and then he's told he's going to be a hero and he tries to be a hero. And he basically commits atrocities, you know, and, and so he's does all these horrible things. And then he goes into a complete depression. And the entire time over decades, the, the negative spirit is trying to get him to confront this, have catharsis and to grow as a human. And only until basically the start of the show, does he start to go on that journey? So he's got 60 years of toxic, negative behavior. Plus he's physically toxic too, you know? And I, I think we're not supposed to like him. I think we're supposed to see him as a very damaged, broken person who has the capability of one day fixing themselves, which I think is a more interesting character. But yeah, I don't think... I can't argue at all that Larry is a redeeming character. I mean, hell, half of the first season, he's basically talking with Reed about how they should just stay the hell out of everything. Like, that's not our job. Mm -hmm. right. I feel like Larry is sort of a, the cautionary tale of the group. Um, 
he that's that's why he's not a hero i mean he's a good guy he will help friends in need and stuff but you know his the like how nathan said the way he treats his kids oh it's terrible. uh is is awful but if you think about like you know take away the the weird alien thing that happened to him he's an american test pilot he's probably going to go on to be an astronaut you know uh, you know on for gr- good for great things bound for great things and then he's caught or comes out as gay leaves his wife and family and becomes dead to them that this was a story that was that that, that that's something that happened back in the 50s and 60s yeah and uh and i think the way they're using this negative man to explore that but to a more extreme sense in which case you know you can't hug them um it is uh is real interesting for the character but yeah i don't think you're supposed to like him i agree yeah I, I really don't one thing i do like that they're doing with all the characters though is they're not explaining stuff up front because initially i was like wait if he's radioactive why isn't he killing everybody because i'm like they're just bandages it's not like it's something and it wasn't right, until yep. season two that they explained no these are like special bandages that are treated a certain way so that the radioactivity doesn't hurt anyone. because at first i was just like this doesn't make any sense like he should be hurting everybody as he goes about town or whatever like they're dirty too right yeah well, it, look it's it, they're his only set he only has one set <laughs> of them unless the chief gives them another set so yeah. if you notice whenever the chief is back in town his his bandages will look new that's because the chief has oh. given him a new set of bandages mm. uh, um, but if the chief is off on one of his missions the, the bandages just get worse and worse and worse um, but originally in the 60s they were lead lined bandages and mm-hmm. eventually became chemically treated bandages um, mm-hmm. of the chief's personal vintage but I was I always thought that was funny like lead lined bandage what the hell like right <laughs> wrapping that around your head you put on like an extra like you know two stone or something right you're like 40 pounds heavy well yeah and I mean even and, and I mean we'll get to this in a second but even like the fact that it's like wait why does everybody still look the same age now and that becomes a plot point but i was like i was like rita i can see because her powers are metamorphic or whatever so it's like but everybody should be aging right but then you know that's actually a plot point later so yeah. again i like the fact that they like let you ask these questions and then but they don't feel like answering them all up front like eventually they'll sort of like let you know like why certain people like why does the chief not age you know right. like and, and honestly that was probably my biggest beef was when you get the answer as to why and to and, and the whole where and why for um which i'm sure we'll get to near the end of the podcast um i don't like it i they actually oh. copped out a little bit and we'll talk about that more later. Oh, okay all right no all right, fair it, enough it, it, it's a cop out it, it's a cop out for what actually happens and i'm like no this is doom patrol they got to go there okay so- <laughs> All right, so Nate, a little bit earlier, you mentioned that Jane was your favorite character. So uh, why is Jane your favorite character? She has all of the powers. <laughs> okay, yeah. I like mean, every single one, and they're all <laughs> yeah. good. Like 64 different powers? 64 different powers, and yeah. they're all good. My favorite is the goth girl with the head of a son. Yeah. Uh, I forget her name. but uh, she Molly shows up Fire. With... It's Molly yeah. It's Molly Fire, I think is her name, yeah. She's she's awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I think just having like just like you look like the sun is a pretty good power. Um but no Jane and the actress that plays her. Um Diane Guerrero, by the way. Yeah, Diane Guerrero. She does such a good job, and they do a good job in the show of tackling and, and destigmatizing mental health. Um and, and really, you know, talking about trauma and how it affects you and and, and, and just normalizing the stuff that 
you know, we as a society haven't talked about very much until, you know, it's becoming more prevalent now, but for a very long time, you didn't talk about this stuff and you kept it all a secret. And, um, and I just like, uh, just for me personally, the, what the character means for us as a society, uh, destigmatizing mental health as, as a, as an advocate for mental health, that to talk about your mental health. And, and Jane is, she just talks about it. She's just like, yeah, I'm crazy. Uh, different people come out every once in a while. Uh, sometimes it sucks. I'm sorry. Uh, but that's just how I am. And she doesn't, and she doesn't really apologize for it. She just says, you know, it, it just happens. Karen made me laugh out loud because when Rita's setting it up, she's like, oh, it's like the worst of all the pro- you know personalities. She's like, she's like lovesick and all this <laughs> stuff. She is Karen. And it's just like, oh my God, that is so perfect because of how like Karen is used nowadays as like the, you know, like the the traditional, like, you know, like uh, oh, I mean, that, already happened, but that was so yeah. self-aware when they did that. They, they, <laughs> they caught Karen early on and they said, this is going to be a thing. And they write it. Yeah, and they went for it, you know. Um, Karen's not one of the original 64 personalities, but I'm glad she's there because I'm like, I'm there for Karen. Karen's hilarious. Um, yeah. But I think what's interesting is her evolution from the comics to the TV show. I, I think if they had tried to do Patrol 20 years ago, I don't think Crazy Jane would have been remotely as as compelling as she is now. And I think it's because people are more willing to talk about mental illness and and, and talk about things that, that, quite frankly, should be normalized a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. we all got baggage. You know, I don't care how well-adjusted you are. You got something that makes you just a little bit, woo-hoo. Like, we all got it, you know, whether you're a little OCD with your house or whatever. Um, and, and the more that we talk about it, the more that we normalize that we all have these little just kind of quirks, the, the easier it is for people to make sure that they can go and get help and to make sure that they can feel like they are normalized um when crazy jane was originally created they never really gave her that much you know like you knew that the personalities were there because of a horrible incident with her father when she was a child um but they never really describe it as these personalities are trying to protect the girl you know she's sort of a like a deuces machina where she would just have a new personality and a power that would yeah, Hope the doom troll out, and then they right, just... like they were all there. The all the personalities were there. Like the nun was there, the black Atlas is there. They're, I mean, they're all in the comic, and they show up pretty early in the book, you know, so you know that they're in there. But they, they're never really shown as being a, a defense mechanism for a broken little girl. Like it, it never comes across nearly as well as it did, in my opinion, in the show. In the show. I quite frankly, I think that they spent uh, 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 quite a bit more time with her character than anybody else because they wanted to show how this mental illness was actually protecting the little girl. Um, And I think that when you're dealing with somebody who's got all this trauma and all this baggage, I think it's very important to frame it because it makes her incredibly sympathetic, incredibly humanized, and it allows you to go, oh, I get it. Um, and it, it is one of the, the shining moments out of the show is what they've done with her. Um, and I'm glad that it, they did it now instead of like 2005. I think in 2005, she'd have read off like a Ben Affleck character and it would have been just dog shit. Well, yeah, just twitchy and going. Yeah, oh, it, it would not have, yeah, it would not have played a sympathetic. And she's sympathetic in the comic, but it, it's different. Like, it, it, like it, it's much more, well, she's just Looney Tunes. And, and in the TV show, they're like, well, she's our family. And yeah, this is what happens. Um, and it mm. plays a lot more like that in the show. And I, I, I really appreciate yeah. that. That's they're handling it that way. I, I, I was like, ah, oh, crap, baby dolls here. Damn it. I, I missed, <laughs> I, 
I missed Penny Farthing in the second season because I really, really <laughs> loved Penny Farthing in season one. And I like I like that some of them look like Jane in, inside her mind and some of them don't. And so I even right. like the actress they had mm-hmm. playing Penny Farthing inside Jane's mind. And I don't know if they just couldn't get her back or whatever, because they have just about everybody else in mm-hmm. the scenes inside mm-hmm. her mind in season two. But she's missing. Um, but um, but uh, <laughs> did anyone else see it coming as far as when? um Oh, what's her name? Um, um, the one that comes back uh, that used to be like the one in charge. Miranda. Miranda. Miranda yeah. yeah. Like, cause I was like, yeah. she came no. out of the well. What is wrong with you? That is not I the never... personality. That is the dad pretending to be the, like the version of the dad in her mind, pretending to be Miranda. I saw that oh, yeah. coming for so you far did? away. Oh no, I didn't. Well, oh, I mean, God. we still don't know that. I didn't even dad. see Miranda. I, well, I yeah, we still don't know that it's the dad. I, I still don't think it's the dad. I think it's something else, but I'm because, not saying Because she is, even so. said, like, right. when she confronts Jane at the very end, you know, because obviously yeah. we, season two didn't get to finish because of COVID. Oh. We were actually going to mm-hmm. get the end of season two in season three. But she says, something like, sweet baby Jane or, or sweet baby, you know, yeah. like, whatever, you know, like, sweet baby K. And, like, and like that's the dad masquerading as Miranda because, like, she finds the dead version of miranda down in the the well well. yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah i think it's like the version of the dad in her mind is trying yeah i i think that there's something else kind of going on there i think there's a a little bit of dorothy in there too that that but again there's other stuff going on there like i said there's this concept of the literals that that um grant morrison introduces which are the these abstract concepts that are actually given thought and i think that one of the literals has dug into jane's head um, and is using the remnants of what it's finding in the well to build a personality. And part of that personality is what she feels her dad is. Is Mr. Um, Nobody a literal? No, Mr. Nobody starts something called the Brotherhood of the Dada. Um, but we'll talk about that too, because I got theories about what's coming up. Um, you know, Mr. Mala, they've already said that then the brain are going to be in season three, right? Well, yeah, that's the Brotherhood really? of Evil, though. The Brotherhood oh, okay. of Dada is way better. Oh, okay. All right. I'm... <laughs> Different Brotherhood. Um, okay. Uh, but, well, I know your love of anthropomorphic apes also. So I, yes, just I love Mr. Yeah, Mala. Mr. Sure, okay, Mala yeah. is one of my early ape loves. I love him. And if you don't know what Mr. Mala looks like, basically, he looks like a Shea Guerrero gorilla. He's got the he's literally got the beret he's got a bandolier like chewbacca except it's got bullets he's got a giant m60 gun uh, and normally has a backpack with the brain on his back i'm not even kidding yeah so like, like these characters are it. in like the young justice cartoon also if you ever watch young justice and it's yeah. the most absurd thing to see this gorilla with a machine gun with a beret blowing yeah. everything away it's it's, it's great it, it's uh, freaking hilarious yeah. um but uh all right so sean you were talking you were talking up cyborg before is he your favorite character or is another one that's your he's favorite? not actually my, my favorite character for the doom patrol has always been robot man has been cliff Steele. Mm. um uh, i uh, and that goes back to the first time i ever read that comic book when i read secret origins number one back in 1986 um and or yeah i'm pretty sure it was 86 um and, and they they talk about the fact that the and again i i can't stress this enough the very end of Doom Patrol in 1968, they said we're canceling the book. Um, Drake, the writer, says, "Fine, we're gonna we're gonna kill them," and they get blown up by a nuke on an island. And all they have to do, basically, they're they're outsmarted by a man called the Immortal. And the Immortal says, "If you stay on this island, we I will not blow up the 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 the, the sister nuke that's on the mainland. But if you try to leave, I will blow up the mainland." And so they stay and they sit on a beach and they all basically hug each other and they, they get nuked. And so then like six months later, the ravaged corpse of cliff washes up onto shore and he's still somehow functioning and they rebuild him. And John Byrne drew 
this this scene of him washing up the shore and it traumatized me as a kid. I was, I mean, in a good way. And the fact that I felt for this character in a way that I had not felt for other characters, it is really horrifying. So, um, so, because... so let me just ask you a question real quick, sidebar so, real quick. No, they, no. they established that there was a previous Doom Patrol to this Doom Patrol. Was that in the comics or is that something they just made up on the show where it was like... Okay, so here's the funny part. All the Doom okay. Patrol members that you meet in Doom Patrol in the cartoon are actually the sequel characters. So, okay. So the original, original Doom Patrol is Cliff Steele, the Negative Man, and Elastigirl. So Rita Farr, Larry, and, and Cliff. You also have the Chief. They eventually get a Robin sidekick uh, by the name of, of Gar, who turns out to be Beast Boy. Uh, at that point, he was called Changeling. Um, and they're all co-sponsored because the Chief, while being very well off, he was not Batman rich. So eventually, they hang out with this guy called Mentallo, who is Mentallo from the Doom Patrol episode that you saw. So eventually... After they get blown up in the 60s, in the 70s, they try to bring the Doom Patrol back and they do a three issue miniseries and they introduce the chief's wife, um, Celsius, who has the ability to create fire and ice. They introduce uh, uh, the negative woman of Valentin Vostok um, and they introduce a character by the name of Tempest, uh, who turns out to be uh, uh, the black guy, the doctor who's taking care of everybody. Uh, I think his name's Jonathan. Um, forgive me if I got that name wrong. Um, and people hated it. They're like, this is garbage. This is the Doom Patrol. And so that they, they never did anything with those characters. Then in 1986, they did Secret Origin 1 and they decide to relaunch the Doom Patrol again. They bring back Cliff. Cliff is, this is how I fell in love with Cliff. He washes up, they rebuild his body, but because the chief isn't around, it, the body's even worse than his original one. Cause by the time, the, at the end of the sixties, he could actually feel and taste things. Um, and so he actually has a giant technological leap back because that doesn't happen anymore. He can't taste or eat anything because they had to basically use what they had on hand. And they're like, and he's like, this sucks. You know, so he's kind of stuck in this body. And so he's hanging out with all these other characters. Um, and then basically people hated it because they treated them like the X-Men. They were going on regular mm -hmm. super, you know, hero adventures. And they said, that's not what the Doom Patrol is supposed to be. They're supposed to be freaks. And then Grant mm -hmm. Morrison comes in and within an issue or two, Celsius, uh, you find out that um, uh, Celsius is essentially insane. She was never married to the chief. She's a stall. And uh, uh, she's absolutely crazy insane about him, but yet they've never had a relationship. Um, uh, a Tempest becomes her doctor. He goes and gets a doctorate and basically goes and he takes care of her because she's freaking bat loony crazy. Uh, Valentina Vostok basically is taken back to Russia and uh, she has to escape Russia. Um, and eventually that negative spirit abandons her and finds Larry because in the comics, it's the same spirit. Uh, 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 it actually is the same entity. So it comes back to Larry at one point, uh, which is how Larry comes back from the dead. Um, and then eventually Larry turns into Rebus, uh, the, the multi-gendered uh, um, and um, yeah, so the characters are there, but it, it's actually backwards. The original Doom Patrol, the very original Doom Patrol is Rita, Larry, and Cliff. They die. And then the characters who are in the insane asylum are the ones who take over and eventually are killed off. It's Doom Patrol's very, like, it's they, weird. They, they try a lot of stuff. And when it doesn't work, they just kill the characters. <laughs> they really nice. do. They do. They, they try stuff. They really do. And, and, and if it doesn't work, they're like, nope. And they just, they nuke them. <laughs> I think one of the strengths of the series, because because Cliff's actually my favorite, also. I love Cliff. I, I think I think one of the strengths of the series, though, is that they have these broken characters, but mm -hmm. they have their brokenness like interact in ways that like it kind of makes something really touching. Because like yeah. I love the Cliff Jane relationship. I think yes. that's one mm -hmm. of the central. In fact, I was kind of a little, but I don't know where they're going with it. But when Cliff like reconnected with his real daughter, I'm a little worried that they're going to get rid of the Cliff Jane relationship because that. 
that's what that was. That was Cliff seeing Jane as the girl, like mm-hmm. the broken little girl and yeah. thinking that he's got his daughter, that she, she can be his daughter. Right. Whereas Jane sees Cliff as this man, but he's not a man. See, see because of the way that she was hurt, yes. you know, by her father, Cliff is a safe man. Yes. to have a relationship mm-hmm. with because Cliff does not have gender. In fact, that actually yeah, comes up when he's away. in her mind. It's like, I the, I am no man thing from yeah. Lord of the Rings, except he really is male in his personality, right. but he is not physically male anymore. But he doesn't have the equipment. So right, he doesn't have the equipment. Like, right, pass. exactly. Yeah. And so it's it's touching when you think of, like beyond the subtext and, and the fact that it's a really raucous relationship where they don't get along because of their personality, but at the same time, they really both see in each other something that they really need to connect with. And so like on that deeper level, it is also really meaningful and interesting because you're sort of seeing like, yeah, they both like need the other person also. Mm-hmm. And so I love that. I think that it's, it's amazing how nuanced it is. That's actually I think the family. Oh, I think the, um, I think what's really could be really cool about that relationship between Jane and, and Cliff is that, you know, he gets back with his daughter and maybe Jane feels a little, you know, when she gets out of her head, um, you know, she feels like displaced or something, but I think because Doom Patrol is so self-aware and it turns tropes on its head, I think that they're just going to have this really awesome friendship. It's just going to become a really awesome friendship that is safe for him and safe for her. You know, they give, they give each other what they need, uh, without it being, father daughter or sexual or anything it's just two people connecting you know yeah, purely um, platonic yeah yeah in the comics it never becomes sexual there's never a romantic element um it, it's much more about being family um and, i would and, find and, it really weird and distasteful yeah. if they went there with that yeah they, they, there's no way they're going that direction yeah yeah, yeah um, no i don't think that's that's what i mean like i think they're so self-aware it's not gonna go yeah there, there's no way all. Yeah. Um, and, and it never goes there in the comics either. And the, the thing I love is that, you know, there are a lot of really great moments from the comic that they pull directly from uh, into the TV show. The underground and Cliff having to go into the underground is directly like that's like two issues of the comic. And it's and it's exactly as is depicted on screen. They right. nailed that entire. It's like, that's oh, good. man, they totally nailed this. Because um, that's delicate. It, you could yes. really screw that up. They, and, and they did an awful, really good job uh, <laughs> handling that. Um, and, and that's when Cliff realizes there are that many personalities in there. The first time, I don't think he saw the nun in his journey on the TV show, but he sees the nun in the comic and he freaks out a little bit because I don't know if you guys have noticed, there is a nun that walks around in the background mm-hmm. with a giant chainsaw like Leatherface. Mm-hmm. You do not want to meet the nun on a dark street. Mm-hmm. Um, the nun mm-hmm. is exactly what you're afraid she is. Yeah, um, she has some dark circles in her eyes. She's yeah, she's, you do not want to meet the nun. And he sees the nun in the comics. He's like, I'm going that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, by the time you get to the end of Grant Morrison's run, one of the, the big cruxes is that at one point, Jane says that she's okay, um, that Cliff helped her enough where she can be on her own. And she vanishes for a while. Um, and you come to find out that she basically um, is captured in a pocket dimension and they think she's nuts. And so the very end of the story is Cliff makes it his journey to go and rescue her um, and, and get her out of there. So the end of the journey for them in the Doom Patrol, in, in that version of it, uh, and I would imagine that they would do something similar, is, is that she's there to help protect him because he's becoming more and more removed from reality because he can't touch anything. He, can't, he has no sensory input. Um, and he's there to make sure that she's never taken advantage of. 
Um, and that's where they end that story is that basically he breaks her out of the insane asylum and they take off. They're like, we're out of here. Um, it, it's a really, I, I hate saying it because Doom Patrol is not a wholesome comic book, but it is the most wholesome relationship out of any other relationships in the book. Um, and uh, it, it really is, um, which is sad because she doesn't come back. They, 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 they infer later on that basically Jane has become a normal person at some point in, down the line, um, but we never see it. So I don't know if we'll ever get Jane back. Uh, but I, I what wish what what are Jane's intrinsic power? Because it's like it always seems like she has to switch to somebody else to use a power. What is Jane's personal power? Okay, so Jane doesn't have a power. Jane is oh. what they call the dominant. So Jane's power is that she, her power is that they can all see through her basically. So they can all experience all the other personalities can see what's going on. So if they see something's happening, they can jump in immediately. When one of the other ones are in the spotlight is what they call it. Um, everybody else can see it, but they can't take control if necessary. The, the other personality has to let go. Whereas Jane knows that she can, like her ability is that she's basically the, she, she keeps everybody on an even keel. Um, she's much more of a diplomat. Um, but the problem is, is of course, this diplomat has gone through the worst part of humanity and she's seen a lot of bad stuff. Stuff. And we saw where Jane was born, too. I mean, we basically saw, you know, her birth in the 70s and, and what caused her to be there. I mean, she she just doesn't trust humanity. Um, it, it's a bad scene for her. Uh, but yeah, she she her, she never actually has a power. She's just a conduit for the rest <laughs> of the personalities to be able to manifest as is okay. needed. Yeah, um, well, I mean, because, yeah, it, like initially they said, like, each of the 64 personalities has its own power. So smart. I was like, well, okay, well, what's Jane's then? But okay. Yeah, so well, you know what's like, messed up is that originally in, in the comic, she doesn't have power. There, there's this event called invasion where basically and i'm not going to get into the minutia of it but basically aliens come they drop a bomb on planet earth and a bunch of new superhumans happen okay. um and and jane's one of these people but of course it sounds has like the worst way to take over a planet <laughs> i know right yeah it really it was the dominators the dominators are crappy anyway oh, so if you watch the scene that you, you know yeah. what i'm talking about um but the dominators show up yeah, the Dominators show up and they incidentally make a bunch more humans into metas. And, and so Jane gets her power. So the personalities were always there, but they never could manifest abilities. And afterwards they can. And that's when the chief sees her and he's like, oh, crap, I got to make sure this girl's not going to kill people. So he brings her. They, they basically bring her to the Doom Patrol mansion because they can't leave her in the asylum because she's going to burn the place down with just one personality. So it's uh yeah they, they they had to kind of step in for her so. but but yeah it surprises me how much i like cliff oh, because great. cliff is yeah. an awful human being in every way that cliff can be an awful human being but they sell it on i mean brandon frazier's selling it on the aspect mm -hmm. of this is a man that has literally had everything taken away from him other mm -hmm. than his consciousness yep yeah it's yeah. it's kind of a it's kind of a perfect role for Brendan Fraser if you actually look up what happened to Fr Brendan yep. Fraser and yeah. why he disappeared from uh, public consciousness for quite yeah. some time. The man, the poor guy has been through some crap and yeah. came out on the other end finally, thankfully. But yeah, and I'm a huge fan of Brendan Fraser. I mean, uh, Nathan knows this. I love Brendan Fraser movies. You know, I'm like I'm all about it. Um, and uh, when they said he was going to be the voice of Robot Man, I'm like hell yeah. You know, I was like it's about time we get some mm -hmm. Brendan Fraser back. You know, um, I remember years ago I tweeted that where in the world is Brendan Fraser? Why don't we have more of him? And he actually responded. He's like yeah. Yeah, I need to do more stuff. And I was like, what the hell? And I was like, it's the first Sean time. Of... <laughs> yeah, it was a Sean bomb. This was like this was like four years ago. Um, and, and you know what? Yeah, they were probably about to go into production about Doom Patrol. So maybe I don't know. Um, but I remember that. I was like, holy crap! Brendan Fraser actually responded like, yeah, I need to do some more stuff. And I'm like, um, but yeah, it, it was a it was a pretty funny thing. That but Cliff has always been the character for me that I've always been just fascinated by because the the, the stories that he goes through 
they, they're they all in badly for him because again he's just a brain in a body and he doesn't have like the the, the tactile stuff um and when he does uh spoilers in the comics eventually they give him a brand new body um and it still looks like his robot self but it has all functionality he can smell he can hear he can taste um they even give him anatomical correctness if he wants it um but he looks and but he's got like jet black onyx skin um and so he goes on like two adventures and he has all these experiences like this is amazing um and then some stuff happens and i'll skip over that because we'll talk about that later but cliff has to be removed from the body for a little while so they have to take they pop the brain out um uh, just temporarily and the the body becomes self-aware it's so advanced an ai basically forms because it's able to mimic his own brain and it's like you're kind of a and you keep trying to get me destroyed i don't want to die i'm just going to go out into the world and his body ditches him he has a such a cliff thing to happen your own body just goes boop because it's basically what's happening with 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 crazy jade right like you know so with, with jade you know the body the you know all the person is like you keep trying to get us all killed we need right. to go <laughs> and so they they try to take over the body just leaves cliff and so Cliff has to go back in the old robot man body. And he's like, you know, maybe this was for the best, you know? <laughs> Cliff well, I, always I, has. <laughs> I mean, the poor guy, it's like, you know, like, like Victor Stone won't help him. Cause he's like, no, you're just a piece of crap. Like I told, like, <laughs> I told the chief not to build you like this and you're yeah. just garbage. Yeah, and then it's like, dad is a dick. and then he's like, oh, so um, I'm going to, I, that accidentally severs the guy's finger, the criminal's finger. And then that he's like, so Oh, I got funny. a finger. I'm going to like, go like get this like attached so that I can have sensation in a finger. <laughs> and he's like, he's got it in the kitchen and then he accidentally fries it up. <laughs> I love Cliff. He's so making much. sausages and he accidentally yeah. puts the finger in with it. <laughs> but you know, I mean, they, they nail Cliff's personality though. Cliff yeah. is, is a very earnest person and he learns how badly he screwed up and he wants to be legitimately better right but, and that's the thing it's like everything about him is he wants to be a better person and he's right. so bad he, he's so clueless and so bad at everything and it's just like <laughs> it so makes dumb. him so lovable despite the fact that they showed yes. he was he was like the worst of humanity yes. like he mm -hmm. was not a good and person that's what all. makes cliff great and he's just like that in the comic books too in fact there, there are there are certain issues where he likes to think he's a gumshoe so mm. he'll like you know have like this noir kind of thing going on and he's like so i'm walking down the street eh? and it's and it, he just screws up all the time you know and, and, but that's what i love about cliff cliff is he, he's the lovable idiot who wants to do well but just he doesn't have a good track record of actually succeeding but again that's what makes him so much fun uh, but yeah, yeah. That, I, I love cliff i, I mean cliff. and plus who's who <laughs> stupid ass gave him the name robot man uh he was originally going to be called the android and apparently um isaac asimov said no you can't use the name at the time for some reason they they decided not to piss off isaac asimov um, and call him Android. So they called him Robot Man. And in 50 years, they have never moved away from his official code name being Robot Man. <laughs> it's horrible. And I it's love all, it. It's awesome. I like that his nemesis is like field mice. That's like his like... <laughs> His villains, you know, it's like, I'm super small, so I'm just going to kill like a mouse like right. every day, you know, like. <laughs> when he comes back because he's so mad at the chief and he's wearing the mouse as a headdress, he's like, purged. <laughs> <laughs> I love Cliff. Cliff and Brendan Fraser does, he does so much with one word, one explicative. Mm -hmm. 
he has found new ways of using the f-bomb that i've never thought of i'm like wow it's it, he's turning dropping the f-bomb into a true art form i mean he really mm. is because 50 percent of his performance is how can i say the f-bomb in a new way and it's 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 amazing i, I mean brendan frazier gets all the kudos for this he really really does he uh, it's the perfect vehicle because people have to they have to focus on the acting and the story for him um because let's be fair, the man has basically enjoyed living life. He has not sure. kept himself in Hollywood shape. Man looks fine for his age, but he's what fifty two now, fifty three, something like that. Um, well, yeah, but part yeah. of that's also because he's injured and he can't exercise. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. But like, like, if you saw him walking yeah. down the street, like, oh, it's just a regular guy, you know? He yeah, 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 yeah. He looks like regular. Yeah, yeah. Guy. he just yeah. looks like a regular guy, you know. Right. But he's not Hollywood in shape, you know. So right. this is a great vehicle because it allows him to basically show up and say, "Look, I'm still Brendan Fraser. I can still act my way out of any situation you give me. Hell, mm -hmm. if you just need my voice, I'm going to make you cry." And he proves it, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, so who cares if he looks like everybody else? The man has the chops to do whatever you need him to do, and you're going to thank him for the privilege of watching him work. I mean, yeah. it's great. So, yeah. yeah. All right, so since you took uh, um, um, Cliff, I'm going to take Rita because that's Beth's favorite character. Oh, Rita's um, great, too. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, Rita is so nice because she has, and the actress does such a great job playing that very classy, like 1950s actress. She enunciates everything very clearly, yeah, you know, that, and so she's got that, that whole Mid-Atlantic accent. Yeah. Right, exactly. And like, so like Beth even now will say like red leather, yellow leather as her way of like vocally, like, you know, because that's what Rita says to do in one of the episodes. And that's like one of the things she does to like sort of like get her voice like ready. And like, um, um, you know, but Rita is another one of those characters that, again, I don't think she was anywhere near as bad of a person as, you know, Cliff or Larry, you know, because I mean, she's just like one of those like very vain Hollywood starlet types. Right. I mean, like that's kind of her, you know, thing, you know, and but again, it's this idea of for the longest time, though, because her vanity was so strong and because her powers made her look freakish, she just had to withdraw from everything. She didn't want mm -hmm. to be part of anything or, or look right. at anything. And she's actually the one making the biggest strides, I think, now to turn things around. You know, she wants to both get back into acting, get back into her normal life. Mm -hmm. And that whole thing of the of the blob lady and the play and mm -hmm. like the the thing with like the, the girl, like, you know. And she had done background to figure out why the blob lady was like that. And she's right. so close to the truth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and you can tell though that Rita just hates her. Cause it's just like, cause Rita's just like the beekeeper. <laughs> just like she has one line. Rita's effects are so amazing. Just a fleshy, Ugh. it's mm. kind of furry, like hairy blob rolling so down the street mm -hmm. like that that game katamari just picking stuff up and rolling along <laughs> it's just amazing and it, it's i know it's not like what her original power set was but it's oh it's definitely a good i i think that quite honestly it's much it works more, better it's character. a better fit for the doom patrol yeah because yeah. her original power of i can become 50 feet tall was kind of weak sauce i mean literally in the comic books she got to be like one day she's fine and she's on the movie set and the next day she's 40 feet tall and they said well we have to fire you and i'm like why 
what? Like it never made sense to me as a kid in the eighties reading this. Like, why? Pull the camera me? back. It'll be yeah, fine. I mean, seriously, right? Like, it never made sense to me. Why but yeah, but like when her face is drooping, you can tell. Like, yeah, yeah they can't yeah. really have her on camera with her face going. Right, know. but if she's just growing to be forty feet tall, what? Right. How is that? Uh, uh, you know, it doesn't. It didn't make sense. Like, I, I also love that. though that it gives her this voracious appetite that she's got to eat constantly, yes. and just seeing this thin mm-hmm. little woman with this giant plate of like fried chicken like stacked up to like the top. <laughs> of her head like i love that I, I get that it's such a trivial like visual gag kind of thing but it makes me crack up every time because like the looks people give and stuff like when it's like you know she's when she's in the bar like for, and she's um, unapologetic about that oh yeah too. she's like i eat sorry I'm a, I'm a woman i look good and i eat a lot you know and they look at her like what do you want she's like i want four whole chickens you want what i want four whole chickens bring them you know like you know like, ron swanson moment you know, I was like, ma'am, are you sure? I know what I'm about, son. You know, right. just, about, son. <laughs> just bring me the chickens. Yeah, no, Rita's fantastic. I, I I love that. And what's funny is that April Balby, who is the actress who plays her, the only other thing I'd ever seen her from was when she was playing a character from Two and a Half Men, and she was the bubbly, bouncy, uh, 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 idiot wife of, um, oh, God, what's his name? Not Charlie Sheen's car- uh, actor, the other one, um, who's Lex Luthor now. Um, oh, John Cryer. Yeah, John Cryer. He plays John Cryer. She plays John Cryer's wife for like three or four years. And she's an idiot. Her name's like Bambi or something. Like she <laughs> like polar opposite, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm watching the first season of Doom Patrol. I'm like, I've seen this woman somewhere. Where have I seen her from? So I Google her and I'm like, no. Wow. Uh, Tiffany. Her name was Tiffany. And and when I realized that she was Tiffany, I was just like, I can't even believe it's the same freaking lady. Like, I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. Other than the fact that, you know, it, it, obviously it's the same facial features, like everything about her is completely different. And, and I think that's a testament to the actress, you know, I, I mean, because, you, you know, people tend to imprint the first time they see somebody and it's very difficult to move past that in, in impression, right? Like you, you, you kind of automatically assume that the actor, that if they imprint on you, that's kind of who they are, right? Um and so I kind of assumed that she was more of a Tiffany. Now I'm like, oh, she's totally Rita Farr. Like, yeah, no, and I mean, it's like it's so perfect. Like the way she plays that character, like this mm-hmm. feels like it's a 1950s yeah. actress, you know, on the screen. There, it's just oh yeah, it's she so has good. the look definitely. And and I love that, like when they finally get into her baggage, you know, beyond the fact that she was just this vain, you know, Hollywood starlet, and right. looking at like the whole idea of, you know, like her mother never gave her the credit to you know like to get anywhere on her own to to the point of basically selling herself to get her daughter you know parts and stuff you know and how horrifying you know that is to her and how it's like it's hampered her her whole life because Mm -hmm. she doesn't feel she's worthy or good or capable of doing things Mm -hmm. because of that and 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 wow i mean like again it's it's getting into societal commentary and all kinds of stuff like that but also Mm -hmm. it's very interesting from a character standpoint it really fits in with what you've seen of her already and and i really like that i thought that was a good you know uh like reveal you know her her major sin of of the the hollywood abortion scene which you know i mean they've written books about it back in the 40s and the 50s where basically you know producers were just they would womanize if you wanted to part in hollywood you had to you know have sex with these producers and stuff and there were all these babies that were put up for adoption or aborted and just it's just horrible stories Mm -hmm. of women who are basically broken and then their dreams are shattered because they're like well you had a baby you're out of commission for a year so guess what we can't use you and you had 
you had sex out of wedlock. And you so had sex you, out of wedlock and like just the most horrible, repugnant right. stories, you know, and, and not only do they have Rita right. in the middle of that, they make her culpable for part of it. You know, like that was how she got gigs was as she got older was that she would bring them fresh meat and, you know, and, and just, it, it, it's, I think it's interesting because it makes her still, you know, you can relate to her. You can, you can find her to be a redeemable character, but she doesn't want to redeem herself. Like when she falls <laughs> into the grate and falls into the furnace, I think near the end of season one. And she's like, I deserve this. This is, I'm a piece of human garbage. I deserve to fall into a furnace because I did this 60 years ago. Um, that kind of self-awareness and guilt really goes a long way of redeeming characters, I think. Um, and they never shy away from the fact that she has incredible guilt over it. And I like that. I, I like that they did that because the original Rita Farr had nothing like that. I mean, she was, she was the most basic character ever. She, she got big, you know, and, and that was it. Like she was just a kind of a washed up Hollywood starlet, you know, and, and they've given her so much more pathos and depth. I mean, uh, the Doom Patrol has done a really great job of adding on layers to these characters to really accentuate and, and mirror what their powers are. Um, and I love that because their powers are just metaphors for their trauma at this point. Um, and obviously, when you look at, you know, the, the prototypes, Crazy Jane and Cliff, which is where a lot of this kind of idea comes from, from Grant Morrison, they just bring in all these other characters and say, okay, if their powers or their abilities that make them unique are metaphors for their trauma, how does that apply to somebody like Elastigirl? How does that apply to Negative Man? How does that apply to Cyborg? And um, they've done a really good job flexing that formula i mean it's it's truly impressive all right so we've got to move on now but uh but we got sorry talk about, I, no 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 it's fine it's fine no no no. i mean it's all good and i mean we don't know this background a lot of us don't know this background so i mean it's well, good this to is have why i asked too. you last night how deep do you want me to go because i got thoughts <laughs> but but i think i think we have to talk about mr nobody because you know alan tudyk is so good you know in general but this is like Alan Tudyk taking things and ratcheting them up to 11, right? Because he gets to be a self-aware villain mm -hmm. in a story that gets to narrate and gets to sort of control the story through his narration and also do things like, you know, like make references to other DC shows and stuff like that. And like, there was like, what did he say that like popped up like a little advertisement or something like that? Like when he said it, it's like, Oh God, I forgot what it was, but like they actually put like a little advertisement within an episode. Like, Oh no, it was, uh, they were doing the, um, they were tossing to other shows. Yeah. They, they were, they were showing other shows that were going to come up or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 And like he did, he did one of the, the, um, intros like the recap yes. things and he's narrating the recap oh, it's <laughs> so, so funny like... <laughs> but one of the best parts of that was in the episode previous to that he goes what the hell's happening here it's like you'll find out in next week's recap <laughs> like he literally says watch next week's recap and i'll let you know what's happening you know like just yeah no nobody and what's funny is that almost everything that you see of nobody is how he's portrayed in the comic books okay. that character i was like how the hell are they going to do nobody because when i heard alan tudyk was going to be nobody i was like first off how is he going to look because mm -hmm. if you've ever seen the drawing of Mr. Nobody, um, he just looks like a shadow with like, he, he almost looks like, you know what he kind of looks like? And you should Google this real quick. Is he kind of looks like a black version, like all jet black version of the Microsoft paperclip um, with the eyeballs on it. And he's just got two giant googly eyes that are very expressive. Um, but the rest of his body are these broken up shadows. Um, and that's actually very, you know, uh, uh, loyally depicted in the show where, you know, his arms are kind of like, you can see like the inside of the arms, but you can never see the outside of it. Like he's a hollow figure. Um, 
yeah, he looks really weird, but he looks like a question mark almost. It's it's this weird look. It, it, it's part Riddler, part paperclip. Um, it's a very bizarre look. Yeah, that is very strange. I just saw it. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I was like, how the hell are they going to portray this on the show? And they did a pretty good job, I thought. I was like, yeah. you know, it's CG as hell, but I mean, it works, you know? Like, well, yeah, and I mean, for the idea that this is a guy that is kind of like one step out of reality or whatever, mm-hmm. it should look weird. I mean, I, I thought that it worked for that, yeah. not knowing what he looked like in the comics. You know, I felt like it worked as a sort of idea of this guy's been kind of like fractured and partially mm-hmm. like put out of like reality and everything and so like like sort of disjointed sort of partial like appearance like worked and you know and then he appears like alan tudyk for half the time anyway so when he's in the white space he looks like he's in the white space right yeah 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 um yeah and and that's funny but all that stuff is very morrison um the white space between the pages all of it it, it's it's pretty much right out of the book um and like i said i'm waiting for him to come out of the painting like when they finally say how he got out of the painting um you're going to get the brotherhood of dada and you're you're gonna you're gonna freak out because they're weirdos i mean they're i mean in a in a world of weirdos they're pretty freaking weird (laughs) but he's fantastic i love him the the self-awareness and the ability to break the fourth wall is nobody's power and i love that they applied that as a macro omniscience it really is just delicious in the Doom Patrol. Well, yeah, and again, it's, it's what makes this show really unique in that first season because mm-hmm. you don't normally see that. Like, I've, I've seen that sort of concept done before in right. cartoons or in comics, but I don't think I've ever seen that concept in a live-action TV series, mm-hmm. you know, to have the sort of omniscient narrator kind of character, and so I really like that. Um, Eric, what do you think about Mr. Nobody? Oh, Mr. Nobody is such a great character and i mean i still to this day so behind the scenes wise i think this is how this conversation happened is i think um i think what happened was the producers had to tell alan that powerless wasn't being picked back picked back up um so they were like hey alan everybody in the studio loves you and we still want you to work on dc projects so we have harley quinn and we have doom patrol coming up and alan's a huge comic book nerd he's self-professed comic book nerd so i think the second he heard the words doom patrol he was just like who am i playing (laughs) he was like i'll sign the contract who do you want me to play i really think the conversation was that simple and then of course you you pretty much get him going full i hate to narrow to deadpool but full deadpool um because obviously characters had broken the fourth wall way before Wade was even a thing. I mean, Wade didn't even break the fourth wall until literally Mark Wade wrote him. So. Right, yeah, because when I read comics, it was She-Hulk was the character that broke the fourth wall all the time. Oh, yeah. And, and you know. It- yeah, the John, Brown, John Byrne, uh, Peter David stuff, right? When it came to She-Hulk. But yeah, that's what I was saying. Obviously, Wade wasn't the first character to break the fourth wall. But nowadays, everybody equates it to Wade. But uh, no, it's one of those things where it's like they didn't even have to give him a script. I think he was flat out like they were flat out like, uh, listen, do you want it? Do you want in on this project? And he literally goes, give me the contract. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what you do. You say, hey, you want to be Mr. Nobody? He's like, I get to be Mr. Nobody. Hell yeah. Um, Yeah, nobody's great. (laughs) All right. Now I'm curious, though. Okay. So, again, keep things moving. 
I'm really curious, Sean, because you already kind of hinted at this and I, and I want to know your thoughts. Um, why did you, because like, I, I thought the season one reveal was like, whoa, because that answered all my questions about like, why do they not age and everything like that was deliberate. Like he was actually grooming them to be. And of course they didn't explain why until the second season with the whole thing right. with the daughter and everything. But why, why do you feel like that was a cop out? Because I really liked that. I thought it was a really cool reveal. So this is why the chief originally created the accidents that created most of the doom patrol on purpose, but specifically he didn't do it for an altruistic reason. He did it because he wanted power. Um, the secret in the doom patrol is that the, the actual bad guy in everything, and nobody tries to tell them this at one point is that the chief is the bad guy. And that the chief actually the the last like year of the doom patrol run in Grant Morrison's run is you find out that he is the bad guy. Um, and because he's built Cliff's body, because he knows how, you know, Rebus is at this point, negative man has become Rebus, you know, how Rebus's powers work, how, how everybody works. He knows how to shut them down. He knows how to take them out. Um, and he has an incredible advantage against them. Um, and it's difficult for the Doom Patrol to beat them. Um, it, it's one of those moments where they've gone through all these adventures that are completely insane. I mean, they literally fight. At one point, they're on an alien planet where people are taking things too literally. And you find out the whole planet was created because an angel got jealous of God, took a piece of the tree of life, and just didn't have the imagination that God had and created kind of a really like crappy version of earth. I mean, these are the kind of stories they were fighting in and they come back home and they're, they're, their trusted advisor, their professor X is the bad guy, you know, like, I, I mean, like, and not only is he the bad guy, he's the reason why Cliff never got to raise his kid, never got to be human anymore. He's the reason why Larry has been stuck in bandages. He's the reason why Rita became Elastigirl. Um, uh, all this stuff happens because of the chief. Um, and the chief is unapologetic because of it, too. He doesn't care. He doesn't want their forgiveness. He doesn't want them to be happy. He wants them to sit down, shut up, and accept that they're failed experiments. And if they get into his way, he'll murder them. And when they try to fight against him, that's exactly what he does. So for them to reveal that in season one, that he's the bad guy, but then they say, but I did it because I wanted to save my daughter. I was like, eat a big bowl of Bull crap. Like, no, the chief is the bad guy, man. Like, he's the bad guy. Like, you can't not do that, you know? And I mean, don't get me wrong. Season two has done a great job of humanizing the chief and making him want to save Dorothy. Dorothy's not his daughter in the Doom Patrol. Dorothy's just a little girl that they find and he's fascinated with, you know? Um, there's no familiar relations to this, you know? This is completely, you know, built for the show. And I hate it. I hate that part of it because I want the chief to break bad one day. Like that's the big twist of this whole story is that when the Doom Patrol start to actually function and become cogent and, and they become a functional family, their family is broken all over again because their dad turns out to be, you know, basically Jane's dad. I mean, that's essentially what the trauma happens to them is, is that they're okay. They have a father that they can trust. And they find out, no, not only do you not have to trust him, you, all of your trauma, all of it is because of him. Ooh. Yeah, I think I like that better. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but you can't reveal that in season one if that's really the end point. So exactly. that, I would have like, to hold you, that back. Yeah. You know, but now that they've written this Dorothy story and they've given him this really human feeling of, you know, well, he's actually really doing it all for his daughter. And they've established the fact that, you know, he actually did have a loving relationship with the 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 the, the stone woman, you know. I mean, 
how the hell do they walk that back enough to make him into like the ultimate bad guy again? Like, I, I don't, I don't know how they're going to do it. Yeah. I really don't. And that, and I'm really torn. I'm like, how do they get to yeah. that end? And that's sad because I think, I think Timothy Dalton would be more perfect for that version that you're yes. talking about. Like that, that makes the casting like actually perfect because that whole thing of the guy that you think, because he always has that simmering anger and everything. Like you could see, like suddenly he becomes like the shut up. You're just a failed experiment. Like, and you can believe it because mm-hmm. he's Timothy Dalton and he does that so well. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. You know, so I'm just like, I, I, I just, I can't even, um, actually, I pulled up the Wikipedia here. So, uh, uh, because sometimes I forget some of the details. It says this, in issue 57, it's revealed that the chief had secretly caused the accidents which turned them into super beans. Chief stated that he caused them to gain their powers, or in the case of Robot Man, destroyed his original body because he hated them. He felt that they were spoiled. He felt that they were narcissistic, narcissistic, and they felt that they were shallow humans, and that if he could turn them into freaks, he could improve them into being better humans. He further revealed that he lied about not being married to Celsius um, out of anger. He was upset at how his experiments over her only gave her powers and did not make her into a freak. Um, let's see here. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's it, it's terrible. Like it literally is. He hates the beautiful people. He hates the people who succeed and he breaks them all. And I'm like, that's dark. Yeah, because in this, it's more like he's just really fascinated by the strange and the weird. Because it was like, was well, the Bureau of Oddities, and then like after he was gone and World War One happens, it becomes the Bureau of Normalcy, where it's right. like, no, we got to go out and hunt those things and destroy them. And because right. he's the one that's more like, no, I I love the strange and unusual. Like he's the one trying to protect the strange mm-hmm. and unusual and everything. But yeah, so he's a much more altruistic character than what that. <laughs> right, that, and, and yeah. ultimately, the chief's goal is to try to improve humanity in total that's what all these experiments are he's trying to find a way to make all of humanity better um and like you know he's he comes up with these crazy freaking inventions to try to do that um but yeah it's pretty it's pretty messed up you know um but they they took it away they like i'm like how do they get back there like how do we get back to this port of this portion where we get the the evil chief and i just don't know if they can do it now i think that i have to just accept that we may not get that version of the chief Mm -hmm. which really makes me bummed yeah i mean well we don't even know if we're going to get more than one more season we know we're getting a season three right because that's been announced and that could be the end of doom patrol or it might go on for three four or five more seasons who knows depends on uh how hbo max is handling their original content because it doesn't seem like they're going to go with a netflix model anytime soon where it's like oh we cancel everything <laughs> yeah versus hbo max that is like literally going oh you you don't you know your streaming service is dying we'll pick up all your shows and uh and put them on our streaming service and then give them another season <laughs> yeah i don't think hbo max has any problems with that right now hbo yeah. max is doing fine yeah. um, no that's what i'm saying the yeah, dc yeah. <laughs> universe i think thing was made more of a at a macro level i think that they were just like any shows that are still viable will just move over right. i don't think that that was like hbo max specifically saying like oh like we'll take this because it's a dying streaming service it was just we're part of the same parent company the show was renewed but the service is going away so we'll just take that content but i don't think that that's but it. i think everything literally everything i think young justice harley quinn titans star girl yeah, obviously star girl's moving mm-hmm. to the cw, CW but everything right. got another season yeah like right. even when the streaming service was being was being cut 
to the point that they're already talking about like a new continuation of Batman the animated series. They're yep. talking about like they're talking about like adding. I'll, I'll believe that when I see a legitimate news service report. So far, that's been like we got it covered kind of stuff. Is though oh, there's a new Batman animated series? Comicbook.com picked up on it, and they don't go for clickbait. The only time they go for clickbait is you'll see a dumb, dumb name like when they go for the header it's like by coyote wildness or something like that it's like right that's not a real name <laughs> yeah i i mean the backstory is basically dc universe was doing fine from what i understand wb was actually very happy with how dc universe was starting to build some steam because again doom patrol was picking up a lot of steam um harley quinn was giving them a lot of clicks people were enjoying that um at&t saw that they had built a streaming model and att wanted to get into that business that's why at&t bought warner brothers was because they had already built that streaming service and they said we can make this go we can make this go wide between your DC properties and then your HBO stuff, which they, at that point they had HBO go. They said, if we put those two together and we make a maximum Warner brothers brand, we just call it what eventually would be HBO max. It just makes sense. Yeah, just make one streaming service with all your properties on it instead of a bunch of little ones. I mean, it does. I, absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even CBS paramount, they're doing the same, same thing now with paramount plus, you know, yeah, like totally. again, put all that yeah. proper, all that stuff together. One and umbrella and call it right. a day. Absolutely. You know, so, Yep. I mean, I think it's fine. And DC Infinite is still out there. So, I mean, you still have the comic service, which for the $5 a month that I was paying for Universe, I totally kept my Infinite. So that way I can keep reading DC comics. I'm like, bring it. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's actually the same thing that happened to Marvel. Like just Marvel did it 10 years ago where right. Marvel Unlimited used to have like the old cartoons and stuff on it. And it was when Disney like bought them that they made it. No, this is just a comic service and we'll take all those shows and everything because we have plans for those you know, later, but we don't want to give them out for free if somebody's just paying for this comic service. Right. So yeah, they took all that down. Absolutely. Um, so one thing that I think would be interesting to see going forward once they, they finally let all the dust settle from all this uh, 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 union unification, I guess we should call it, is I would love to see them start to expand out what Doom Patrol could be, what other characters we could get. Um, I, I think it would be really cool to see, you know, okay, like, I honestly, I would love to see like a crazy Jane, see her in different eras and like see her go on adventures. How does crazy Jane survive the 80s? You know, I think that would be kind of cool. Um, uh, things like that, I think would be really interesting uh, to kind of see. So, uh, but what I think is interesting is that, you know, it's clear that HBO and Warner Brothers and AT&T have absolutely said, we're all in on this. And I really appreciate that. Um, it, it makes me feel like they're actually instead of you know trying to hedge their bets they're trying to go deeper down the rabbit hole and i think that the people who are going to really uh uh what's what i'm looking for invest in that i think they're the ones who are going to survive i think the ones who are hedging i think like the cubies you know the quibbies i think they're the ones who are going to go to the wayside you know youtube reds already died out because they didn't go all in quibbies already died because they haven't gone all in um you know i i feel a lot of them i think discovery plus will probably die out eventually um but like i think ultimately i think paramount hbo and disney they're they're here to stay i i think they've got enough juice where they're going to be able to hang it out um and god bless them because you can skip the entire ad revenue pain in the ass rigmarole you could just say hey this many million people watch this show that means we can give you this amount of budget to turn this around and if you can give us this many viewers you can go on for as long as you want <laughs> You know, and with shows like Doom Patrol, that's the only way you get Doom Patrol. I mean, because Doom right. Patrol couldn't be on TV. <laughs> I, no, I mean, literally, they had a man, not. they had a man flex, and everybody orgasmed. I mean, like, like, <laughs> how are you going to put that on NBC at eight o'clock? I mean, <laughs> it's so, so weird. 
<laughs> but All it's right, so but, Doom Patrol. It's yeah. so Doom Patrol. All right, but let's talk really quick about season two, about the ending that we were kind of left with with season two. I mean, we kind of talked about how we're, 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 we're you know, kind of in a, you know, we've already talked about what we think is going on with Jane and, and her head in the underground and where we, we have different ideas there. But yeah, so again, I don't know if this was already handled in the comics or if this is similar to the comics, but this, the, what's going on with Dorothy and yeah. with the, the candle, what was, what was he called? Candlemaker. Candlemaker, yeah, the yeah. candlemaker. Like, what do you think is going on there and how do you think that's all going to shake out? Um, so Eric, since, since I think I think Sean and I have done most of the talking on this one. What do you <laughs> okay. think? What do you Sorry, think is going I, like on I said, there? I did a lot of research. Sure. So I was, <laughs> well, I was gonna say, when it comes to Dorothy, her actress deserves so many awards. It's not even mm. funny. I no, you're right because child actresses usually are and actors are usually are not very very good, and and she is well, very good. No, that's what I was about to say. I've never seen any child actor be able to handle anything this dark and this like script wise dark and mature i've never seen any any child actor be able to handle this as well as she has like usually you want to strangle the little kid on on shows like this because they're the most annoying character imaginable i think some people some reviewers refer to them as like the little timmy situation you know when you're like well when you know another little timmy which is i think coming very soon to disney plus yay dinosaurs anyways um yeah no completely random tangent um but no uh like i said i think she deserves like all the praise and like all the awards because she was even outshining the the main cast this season i mean to the point that they you know that they had timothy dalton on literally every single episode i think he missed what one episode this season versus last season where he's on like four or five in total yeah and he's always a special guest he's never he's never a headliner i think that's very funny yeah but no it's just i i know we would have had it wrapped up if if covid didn't hit hit but i think this actually gave them time to maybe give us extra going into season three like i think we might see a little bit a little bit more than what we would have where because i think that was that was one of the weakest elements to season one is that finale kind of kind of cuts off to a certain extent like i feel like they could have gone an extra level but they kind of like yanked the rope from under themselves in season one versus this leaving us off on such a knife to the back Mm. twisting cliffhanger because of the stupid virus but thank thankful at the same time because that means you know like going into season three they've had probably this crazy amount of back and forth with their writer's room to kind of give us like that amazing like start to the third season Plus, you know for a fact Mark Shepard is going to do something crazy when he finally when he finally gets back to where to wherever he is. Which right. by the way, Mark Shepard literally is in everything. <laughs> do we need some kind of weird English magician? But we, the guy who plays Constantine is already playing Constantine on Legends of Tomorrow. Well then we gotta go get Mark Shepard. You know what I mean? That's just Yep. Yeah. True. He's in, I mean, he's in me love wrong. with the he's in love with the half horse, half unicorn, or whatever it <laughs> that is. That was so funny. <laughs> but so um, but yeah, no, I mean about Dorothy though. I mean, yeah, you're right because she plays that right amount of like childish whimsy, but yet also like terror at the things that are happening, and like right. it's all it's all where you feel like it should be for this kid, 
um, at the apparent age that he, I mean, it's, there's one thing that I questioned. I was like, okay, even though her apparent age is like 12, she's really, she's over a hundred years old. Right. So like, shouldn't she yeah. be a lot more mature than this because of that? But at the same time, it's like, she's been sheltered all that for most yeah. of that time. Yeah, Danny so like, basically she... wouldn't let her go onto the street. She was basically living right. in the underground for a hundred years. I mean, right. So I'm like, maybe not. So, I mean, I do, I did. That is the one thing I kind of questioned, but as far as the performance, the performance is perfect. Like yeah. she plays the apparent age perfectly and reacts to the situations, the way that she, she's excited. She wants to do things like a normal kid does does at the same time she's scared because there are these creatures that some of them are playful but one's really horrifying and maybe her dad is gonna die oh my god you know that's horrifying you know like and then this other kid you know this other strangely ageless kid when when baby doll is in control of jane is playing with me but then she's like really mean to me and then i want to act out against that and then that you know whole thing that happened there and everything it's like again it felt like a kid it felt like the kinds of things that kids, you know, do, you know, and so I really like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as like my prediction for the for the episode, I have this bad feeling that's going to end up being like a oh, well, we should have just let her grow up from the beginning because I think what it's going to be is like, is the candle maker already said like he's been around since forever, right? Yeah. I think it's like an age, like a, like a rite of passage thing that like whenever like anyone in that line, like like the girl, like the, she took over from her mother and now she's going to be the one that has to fight the candle maker. And like, he's like some sort of like representation of all the evil in the world or something or chaos or whatever. And as long as she defeats him, then like until the next, until she dies and the next girl, has to come of age like he's defeated you know because there are there's that sort of tradition in a lot of cultures you know of the the idea of the warrior's journey of fighting the thing that's sort of like the representation of evil and then like when you fought that representation of evil then it's time for the next generation to fight it when you're dead you like you know and so i think that that's kind of like what they go but the only problem with that is that it becomes well, all of this stuff that the chief did then was for nothing because she needed to come of age anyway and he didn't need to protect against it. And that will feel really hollow. So I hope they don't go that way. But that's where it seems to be going from what I can say. Yeah, well, I I mean, the the flip side of that, of course, is, you know, then again, it it means that they wasted the potential story element of making chief into the big bad, the Mm. the macro bad for all of the Doom Patrol, which is what I keep coming back to. Because again, it's you're right. They're telegraphing the fact that they should have let her grow up a long time ago. And they keep saying, well, no, we're not going to do that, you know, and, and, and that's what makes the chief so compelling in the books is mm-hmm. that he whew, not good. Um, and he tries to redeem himself because um, in the comics, Candlemaker is this cosmic entity. Dorothy basically is kind of like a, a, a way station that allows these cosmic entities to manifest on Earth. Um, and she's desperately trying to understand and control them, but she can't. She's having a hard time with just the concept of it, um, which is where the concept of the literals comes from. The literals are literally, again, they're concepts and ideas that are given flesh and form. And um, her ability allows them to manifest. Um, and so the candle maker is the ultimate manifestation of evil. And so when you find out that the chief is the big bad, uh, his plan to basically kind of like reform humanity is to create these nanites that are going to go into everybody's body. And that he's going to rewrite them into his perfect image of what humanity should be. And the candle maker's like, yeah, I'm going to do that instead. And decapitates the chief, just literally pops his head off and says, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to use your nanites to basically just cause chaos because that's what candle maker is. is he, he wants chaos. And every time Dorothy makes a wish, he gets a little bit stronger. So how does that translate now? I have no idea. Like I, they're, they are so far in the weeds on this one. I'm just like, 
I have no idea where they're going. I know where I would have taken it. I, I, I still would have brought in Dorothy, but I would have found a way to, to leave the door open for chief being the big bad guy. Um, and ultimately if they get rid of the candle maker as a foil now, which I think they're going to, I think Dorothy is going to mature into an adult then maybe the chief starts to become resentful of the fact that he did all this and it's for nothing. Like he couldn't protect his daughter because his daughter had to become, you know, a full grown adult. And, and so he starts to resent the fact that he's given up 90 years of his life to try to protect her. Um, and it ultimately turned out to be for nothing. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm very curious because ultimately the part of my brain that's a fan of the show is trying to ask the question of, well, how do they fix this problem? because they've done a really good job of fixing other problems. They fixed Rita's problem. They found a way to make these characters very relatable, modernize them. And I'm just like, how do you fix the chief problem now? Um, and I, I have no idea. I, I, I legitimately do not know um, because I need to see what they're going to do with Dorothy. Um, so I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little flummoxed by it. But at the same time, there are so many stories they haven't told yet from this era that are beautiful and awesome and creepy. Um, you know that drawing they had at one point where Cliff is going through all the drawings of how to remake his body yeah. and they show the spider body. Yeah. Um, that's actually something that happens in the comic books. Uh, he, he's on a planet. Um, he's on the literal planet or well, one of the literal planets um, where they're having a perpetual war uh, and he gets bitten in half by something called a, a smoke dog. Um, and so he's rebuilt by the literals and he's given this giant, like kind of like spider body and he's like i kind of dig it you know he's like this is kind of cool you know um and so for you know six seven issues he's walking around he's got like this arachnoid looking thing um whether or not they actually ever get there i don't know but i, I like that they make those nods and uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll get that because i really would love to see one day cliff get a super cool body and then it reject him and leave him and he has to go back <laughs> into the old one um I think so if they, I, I, I think if they focus on keeping the characters the, the 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 poignant part of the story, I think they've got years worth of storytelling. I think, uh, I think they can find a way to make Chief bad, like really bad, because yeah. I really want to see Timothy Dalton be the bad guy. Yeah, that's no, that would be good. Yeah, uh, uh, but I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to find a way. All right, so so I know we got to go, and I know that there's still so much we could say about this oh, show. So much. Quick shout outs. So uh um eric do you have a quick shout out about any character or anything that you really like liked about the show no, one just pick one <laughs> no i already i already pointed out mark shepherd okay literally so, in everything yeah um <laughs> yeah was in everything <laughs> yeah what was his character called willoughby or something like that uh, yeah willoughby, it was uh, willoughby, willoughby yeah. kipling Willoughby yeah. Kipling. Yeah. Is he a character from the comics? He is. Yeah. Will, will it, yeah. The, uh, uh, the Knights, the, 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 I think they're the Knights of the, I forget what the order they are, but yeah, the Knights, that whole messianic order that they have. Yeah. The, the, the Willoughby Kipling is directly from the comic books. Yes. Okay. Um, Baphomet is different. Um, Baphomet does show up, but ba I like the, I like the TV version of Baphomet way better. Um, okay. So, yeah. I, yeah. I really love that whole relationship. If he's in love with a horse with a spike in his head, I'm just like, you do you buddy. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah well yeah it just seems like he's like the poor man's constantine right and so i was like does dc yeah, just bit. have like the second rate constantine and that's willoughby yep <laughs> okay um, yeah he'd fit in perfectly on legends <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely uh, all right so sean uh shout outs for anyone we haven't talked about uh, my, my gut goes with the anthropomorphized street of danny but i'm going to give the flex i'm, I'm going to say flex oh, okay. power. I love Flex. I love Flex. I was going to talk about Flex. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, you know, I, I figured you were going to pick Danny, so I was going to like. I was going to leave Danny for you. Um, oh, okay. I, I love Danny, but no, Flex is so fun. Um, and and he's just like in the book. Everything you saw in the TV show, 
happened to the comic. It's a little well, different. I, I love that they actually had him as like the advertisement from like the old 60s books where they would have the big muscle guy and be like, yep. yo, you pay like $1 and send it in. We'll give you like the tip so that you can have the same body kind yep. of thing. And that was so perfect. And then the it's body like, of the beach, yeah. And, and you know what's funny is that it's actually in the comic. That's actually how he's introduced in the comic is he is that ad. But the best part about that issue is um, he hadn't found, what's her name, Darlene? I forget the name of his wife uh, that, that he finds. Uh, she had not found him yet. He was with his previous girlfriend when he was a wimp, and then he, mm. becomes, the, he becomes the muscle of the beach. Um, and when he defeats the bad guy with his superior flex of mystery, um, she's like, oh my God, you are such a good man. He goes, that's right, I am a good man. And he pushes her on the ground. He's like, too good for you, and walks off. <laughs> that's the end of the ad. And so then he finds his wife later because he was she was he was like, you didn't respect me for when I was little scrawny me. You don't get me at peak hotness. And I was like, that's amazing. You know, (laughs) yeah, Flex is awesome. Um, But yes, everything you saw in, in the TV show in some capacity uh, they, they they switch some stuff around a little bit, though. but sure. yeah, it's all there. The, the the going into the white space, the 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 whole street having an orgasm, um, his wife dying in his hands because she found him and turning into dust. All of that is in there. It, it, Flex is a fun character. The fact that he has a flex for any like he can even tear holes in the fabric of reality by yep. flexing. <laughs> it, it's so great. It's so, good. it's so great. It's so good. <laughs> I love flex. Oh man. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, I mean, I see, I thought you were going to take Danny and it feels wrong not to I mention thought you were Danny. Gonna take Danny. Yeah, I thought see, you were going to take, take Danny, but that's not, I was going <laughs> to, I was going to talk about the thing that I wanted to talk about besides Danny is when we go to the Bureau of Normalcy and there's this joke that they say, like, right? Like, oh, well, we better not let the butts hear about this or something. You're like, what? What did they say? What is that? Yeah, the butts, you know? yeah. And then it's like, what? And then like suddenly when they're just like, everything's like, the, all the doors are open, everything's getting out that they've locked up. There are these giant butts, just butts, like separated from everything with giant mouths. <laughs> Teeth and it's like what is that what is that it makes and you know what that's pretty much the tv show that actually i don't remember that being in the comic oh. the ant farm's in there a lot of what you see in the ant farm is in the comic no. i do not remember the butts if the okay. butts are in there i do not remember them so that is a okay. fully berlanti and his writers they they came up with the butts and god bless them for it because it's funny yeah, because, yeah, oh my God, that was the most messed up thing that I've seen. It's just like giant butts just running through the hallway with giant teeth. Yeah. It was amazing. Okay. All right. But, uh, but yeah, no, Danny, I mean, we got to mention that. Danny, like the idea of this street that can teleport anywhere. So sometimes you just have a street in the middle of nowhere. Sometimes yep. it's in the middle of the city, whatever. It like folds space around it or whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. But, uh, yeah. And, and yeah it's the gender queer street <laughs> that's the only alteration from the comic to this one um danny didn't have a gender but they always refer to him as a he oh, in the okay. comic um but it makes sense that he would have no gender because i mean right it would have because no, it's a street <laughs> right. so that that was a that was a perfectly like oh that totally makes sense um right. danny was awesome i love Danny. right so, and yeah. it's just like danny's scared of mr nobody mm-hmm. and all this stuff like all the emotion you get from a street and yes. the way that it has things pop out and whatever to like in 
indicate like either messages or emotion or whatever. It's just so crazy. And again, it's just such a fun concept. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like the idea of the teleporting street. I do too. Uh, but now it's a brick and then the brick got broken and now it's like, now it's going to be a car. I don't it's know. It's a tire right now. We don't know. Right. It's a better fate than what happens in the comics. In the comics, eventually Chief murders Danny. Um, oh. Chief turns Danny into the Doom Patrol's headquarters and then Danny tries to stop him from his world domination thing and, and he kills Danny. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, Chief is a bad dude. Like, I'm saying... Like Timothy Dalton, when they said Timothy Dalton was going to be the chief, I was like, this is perfect. Right. No one's going to see this coming. You know, like we're all going to feel it, but we're not going to know what we're feeling until he does it. Oh. And then they give it oh, up. And he's like, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. he's like, but I, you know, I did it for my daughter. And I'm like, this is bull. Like, so mad i was mm. yeah i'm just imagining like danny's gonna roll up at some point it's gonna be like a mac truck or something because you have to fit all those people in there so if it's a wheel what yeah. is it a wheel too like it's gonna I be like a it was huge gonna be like, like the night bus from harry potter right like you know that that <laughs> that, that double decker bus that's just infinite on the inside it's like a tardis or something <laughs> right but that's what i think he's gonna be so yeah 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 that yeah. don't make uh, sense but I, yeah no, we... i think danny's british <laughs> Well, I, I mean, it, Danny was in London when yeah. he brought his daughter. So, I mean, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But for some reason, I've always imagined that Danny's British. So I just imagine if Danny's going to be a vehicle, he's going to be like a classic London double-decker bus. Like, I just, I don't know why. That's where my brain is at. So. I, 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 I can see it. I can yeah. certainly see it. <laughs> All right. But we got to go now. I mean, we've been talking yeah. for so long about this. And, and I mean, it is, it is a great show. And there's so many crazy things that we could talk about. But, um, you know, we, we got to cut it off somewhere. So, uh, Eric, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Goodbye, internets. You can find me uh, pretty much if you just look on Twitter uh, at Eric Ratcliffe. Um, can pretty much find everything else through there. Uh, my podcast, So I Love Comics, which I will hopefully, I know I always say it, but hopefully we'll find some sort of recurring schedule for very soon. Uh, new Comic Day, my awesome webcomic, uh, and whatever the heck else I'm up to. <laughs> All right. And Sean, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Goodbye, Internet. Uh, you can find me all over the place. Uh, you can find me at Numa Z on most social media. So that's P-N-E-U-M-A-Z. Uh, you can also uh, see me and my wife do artwork. And uh, coming up, we'll be doing the Constitution check. Um, and that'll be over at um, twitch.tv forward slash PopCycled. Uh, and also we have a YouTube channel as well. If you Google PopCycled, you can find it there as well. Nate, why don't you just um, say goodbye and let people know if there's, you know, anywhere they can find you online. Oh, sure. Uh, hey, um uh i'm mostly uh i'm not on twitter i mean i have a twitter handle <laughs> it's it's nate bob benton on twitter and uh um but there are some uh things coming down the line there's going to be a, a youtube channel coming up and uh doing some gaming centered stuff so it's got a tabletop gaming real real gaming uh coming up so um keep an eye out for that and uh i will talk to you guys later all right, Eric and Sean, thank you so much for being on the show. And Nate, I'm sorry that you had to leave us so uh, early. Thanks for having us. Nate, okay. guys. So that's it for our Doom Patrol discussion. Season three should be dropping within a few days of this episode dropping. And so you can check that out on HBO Max. But now I want to know, what did you think about the episode? Did you like us talking about Doom Patrol? Would you like us to talk about other topics? What feedback would you give us? We rarely get any, and I would love to have some. And you can give us feedback in so many different ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. Another way is to go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. 
Another way is to go to our website at 42cast.com and leave a comment on any of the episodes. You can also tweet to us at 42cast or also on Instagram. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher or on Apple Podcasts. With Apple Podcasts, it is really helpful because the more reviews that we have, the more likely we are to turn up on searches. So, yeah, I would appreciate if you have an Apple account, if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, definitely because of that. The other thing I wanted to make sure that everybody knows about is the ESO Patreon. That is something that helps all the shows on the ESO Network, and you can check that out on patreon.com slash ESO Network. You can see all the tiers, and so if you have money that you can drop to help us out, and you like what you see on the tiers, you can get access to early episodes, exclusive episodes. There's a whole exclusive podcast for the network that you get with a certain Patreon tier, so just take a look at that, and if you can support us, then we would greatly appreciate it. Another thing that I want to mention is my other podcasts. Time Streams is the one where my friend Juliet and I are going through all of Doctor Who from the beginning. You don't need to watch the episodes. I know it's hard to come by Classic Who in the States. So we describe everything that you need to know about the episode as part of the discussion. So you can check that out. That's Time Streams. The other one is Legendary Forces. That's where Juliet and I, along with Joe Heath, Ashley Pauls, and Kareen Vitek, we're going through all of Star Wars fictional media from the beginning. I say fictional media to differentiate it from things like fanzines and stuff like that that reports on the facts of Star Wars. We're talking about the things that are actual fictional media that are part of the universe. A jerk on Facebook called me out and was like, oh yeah, I thought Star Wars was real fictional media, ha ha ha. So I'm just making that clear right now because of that, because I thought it was obvious what I was talking about. But, you know, if you want to be like that, then there you go. Oh, <laughs> uh, con news. I'm still planning on going to Chicago TARDIS, like I've mentioned before. Otherwise, not too much else to report. Beth and I are still watching Continuum and The Expanse. Into the Badlands has kind of been put on hold. Uh, we finished up Gundam Origin. We're about to watch Shang-Chi as of this recording. So that's about it for me. So that brings us to the end of the podcast. Join us back next week when Javicia Leslie will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2021. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.